Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. I really f***ed you now, didn't I? And I've already dropped the first F-bomb for the episode, so. That was the funny. So um, I was on uh, I was on a, um, a thing the other day, and, oh, it was in our, our group. And somebody posted um, uh, a worst band thing or something. Where I put That's up. what I just did. <laughs> and, and somebody said, yeah, the way they must have counted that is one. Two, One, yeah, three two and, and a half, quarter. three and three quarters, four. <laughs> what are we going to? I don't know. <laughs> what difference is it? Hey, what song are we playing? I'm not sure. Just pick the one you like the most. You just start singing one and we'll play whatever the hell we want. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, that's what that band did. It was the funniest thing. I mean, they were supposedly doing comfortably numb. Yeah, like one guy was doing comfortably numb and the other guy was playing whipping post or something. <laughs> <laughs> And then they had another song they covered, and I thought they couldn't do anything worse until I heard them cover that song. It was I so bad. I, I could mean, not tell what it was. Everybody in their really early days, especially like your kids and playing garage bands, you've done some dumb stuff like that. These like everyone has. So were I feel bad for making fun of them because like we've all been adults. Yes. yes. But they were adults, right? But that doesn't mean that they've had a lot of experience playing either. And so... Um, so our buddy Stevie T is at it again. He's uh, he, what is he doing another now? post where um, somebody that uh, you've seen this guy um, on all kinds of um, different guitar forums. Sure. People share his his post where he he does is kind of like the other dude. Uh, he is just, this the guy that gets really angry? No, no, that guy's hilarious. The guy, the old guy, the old English guy that goes, "Ew, fuck it." He just I don't, I don't even know if he's old English, but he just gets mad and he like just starts hitting stuff because he obviously has some sort of like emotional disorder. Yeah, he he does this thing. And he he's got Tourette's pretty head. much. I mean, yeah, he beats the shit out of his own head. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny, but um, no, this guy he's like, but he's he's not playing any notes that like go together. He's just playing real yeah. fast. Yeah, and uh, so he plays like me. 
Stevie T was asked to fix one of his solos. So he listened. To oh, four I saw that solos. and I didn't watch it. Cause I was like, this just sounds bad. Yeah. I couldn't get any of them. I, couldn't fix any of them. So, I, I don't yeah. know, man. Like he's back. Stevie T needs to change. He needs to, you know, he needs to go. Well, he doesn't need to change. He just needs to go back to what he was. I mean, there, there was a moment. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, like he's feeling the pinch of the fact that, you know, YouTube is clamping down and they're making it really difficult for people to make money unless you produce a ton of content. Yeah. I mean, I remember when Stevie T only had like 52 videos. Right. And that was only, that was only last year. His humor is not for everybody. The zany, like kind of nerdy thing, but he's like literally embodying a guitar nerd. That's basically what his shtick is. And I, I mean, I understand it. So it makes me laugh. But then to see him do these like social commentary things where he just comes off as a jerk. Yeah, the win, the the what do you call them? Female. Uh... Well, you know that one I liked, where where he did the the women react to CBT and then CBT reacts. No, to no, that was to CBT. Yeah, that one was funny. I'm talking about two weeks ago when he did one about uh, female guitarists, female shredders. Oh yeah, that was that, that was, I felt like that was in really poor taste. Yeah. There was some stuff in there that I was like, really, dude, really. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I saw one of the Kiesel artists is a woman, and uh, that was a pretty uncomfortable thread over in the Kiesel group. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I kind of sat there and went, I don't even want to look at the comments of this. Nope, yep. not gonna, not going to do it. And so I didn't. Um, but uh, I will say, uh, I don't know. I think... I think there's some good dudes over there, but I think there's a lot of like kind of sick dudes in there too, who just don't get that the things that they say actually impact others. So, well, it's like the, um, the discussion we had last week, which I don't want to rehash. Yeah, I mean, um, it was, it was fun while it lasted. It's, it's about perspective and it's uh, everything we have, everything we do. We have to remember that there are other people who have another perspective and we have to, we have to respect yeah. Dude, it's just really hard. Like, I think, I think for a lot of people, in a lot of times, especially not in today's day and age, where we've been self realization, self realization, self realization, is you. It becomes very difficult to be empathetic right. towards others, and to be. And by empathy, I mean like being able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And actually, this has been coming up a lot in personal conversation between um, my wife and I and other people in the last couple of days. So it's, I, it's a topic. I think I find I'm I'm very like immersed in it right now, but it totally plays into this thing. And actually, um, there was a comment I made in the group today. I think we should probably address too, where I was talking about you know good songwriting trying to be universal. Um, right. I don't know that necessarily. I, maybe maybe I misworded that. Like I didn't mean necessarily like good songwriting, but stuff that's going to be artistically relevant in like two hundred years is going to be more right. universal. It's right. not going to be so focused, like hyper focused on what's going on right now and specific right. language. You know relevant to right now like the reason people are still reading shakespeare is because it doesn't re- deal with real people in in most cases i mean there right. are things like like julius caesar and and stuff like that but um for the for the the most part it's the the dramatic representations and the fact that the text itself doesn't like make specific allusions to things people can't understand today right. um when it does like you've got the footnotes for it and i don't think i don't think it would be as popular today if you didn't have those footnotes um and yeah, so I, those footnotes go beyond the text. They're a thing called like um, uh, extra textual evidence or something like that. That's that's the technical term for it. But the idea right. is that like you have to have that historicity in order to understand it. 
the same thing happens in music. Right. Well, I can give you a prime example. So there was an Iron Maiden song I really liked. And in the song, I, I want to say it's two minutes to midnight. They refer to a primetime Belson feast. And I was like, what the hell is a Belson feast? Yeah. Well, and even the, even, go ahead. Wasn't the days before Google. So figuring out what a Belson feast was for a, um, you know, a young kid who didn't know what the hell that was. Um, I, I came to find out that they were referring to um, camps in Germany that where they, they would um, burn the Jews. And so it was, it was a, it was a referral to the concentration camp and how, um, of course the song is two minutes to midnight. It's all about the German invasions and all that stuff. That's what it is. That's what it refers to. It refers to a very tough and hard time. Yeah, and, but but the the title of the song itself is also a double entente for the yes. uh, the nuclear clock. That's and correct. what what is funny about that is my generation, if you we haven't did. seen it in a movie or something, like you didn't know what the nuclear clock was. No, and you wouldn't know what the. It's not necessarily something you learn in high school in America about when London was um uh you know attacked. Um, yeah, bomb. Oh, sure, sure. Um, that's, I mean, you know, I, uh, I I studied that stuff, but I'm just the generation after me. It's not as important, right? And if and, you really want like historical evidence of that, you can go back to even before that in the 19, you know, really the early part of the 20th century. Um, there were there people were not studying uh, a Napoleon. Now Napoleon right. in the late 1700s was worse than Hitler. And he was yeah. all, he was almost dominant in Europe. There was a period of history for about seventy five years after Napoleon where they didn't utter his name because he yeah. was like seen as the scourge of the earth. Yeah, he was like the he who shall not be named. Yeah, and and <laughs> everybody knew who he was and everybody hated him. And we had Hitler, and that's kind of the same thing in our lifetime. And we're getting to the point now where people are not going to be looking at Hitler as closely anymore. It's and uh, when you forget your past. Yes, well, and that, and that's what I was getting at, though, is like, you're right. You forget the past. We forgot Napoleon. We ended up with Hitler. Yep. We forget Hitler. Who then ended up with next? I mean, right. that's. Yeah, we went from Napoleon, Mussolini, Hitler. But but let's let's get back to the, the, the songwriting. Side of this. So yeah. you mentioned the Jimmy Swaggart references in the 80s. And I think those are an yeah. excellent example of things that are like, here's a historicity thing. That's right. mentioned in multiple artists' music from that's that right. time period. You can you'd be hard pressed to find any rock musician, specifically like '80s metal uh, band, that did not have some sort of comment about the Swaggerts or or televangelists in general. That was everywhere. That was that was like I pointed out. It was in comedy. It was <laughs> television. It yeah, was, it was, but it came it and it went. Right. Yeah, but it happened. It happened by the early '90s. It was done and over with. By the late '90s, it was largely forgotten, and now we have televangelists again. And now here we are, twenty years later, with that guy in uh, Texas or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the mega or whatever. Right, right. That's what I was thinking of. But, but I'm not saying he's a good or bad guy. I don't. Yeah, he may not be Jimmy Swagger. But but let's just put because Jimmy Swagger, that guy was. Yeah, there was some there was some issues issues there. Um. But in this case, like it's it's history repeating itself, obviously, and it's one of those things where outside of the musical context, like if you didn't, if you weren't alive when it happened and cognizant of what was going on, um, which you know even back then, like they didn't have the internet when that was happening. Um, if you weren't cognizant of those things, 
you wouldn't know what the hell that means now. And you'd have to go Google it. You'd have to go find it. I I was live during some of it so that I knew a little bit about it, but I may have just, it's it's funny. I grew up in an era where people were, you know, the problem comes in, well, you know what? We're, we're not social commentators. That's not our thing. The, the thing of it, it is when you're writing music, you're trying to convey an idea. Um, you know, I, I often use um, the song Comfortably Known as a, as a prime example of, of the ability of words and music um, coming into a perfect storm, um, being able to take a listener, regardless of whether you even understand the language, uh, into a place that uh, Floyd meant for you to go, the Floyd, as they were referred to, yeah. um, where um, it's it's a harder when you take music that has specific references, like you said, to a specific time frame. You can still you can still garner uh, similarities to a current situation. And we certainly don't want to forget what we, where we've come from or where we could go if we forget where we've come. It's just some things are, are a little more difficult to. Um, to it, it's harder to convey unless, right. you, unless you're doing it more abstractly. And I think, I think classic examples in literature of the last 100 years that we could use as kind of a parallel to this would be like 1984. Right. He doesn't specifically mention cultures by name. And like he doesn't specifically single out the you know the 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 targets of his satire because it's right. a satire and because it's satire that's why it's so poignant. And then and later on, uh, George Orwell also did Animal Farm. I yes. actually think that came out first. Um, and that again is the same thing. He doesn't mention people by name, but like you can kind of infer who he's talking about. Right. And so you don't have to have the historical context to reconstruct an idea of you know what he's trying to say. Um, and because of that, the date, even though it was 1984, can still becomes timeless. People still refer to Big Brother. People still use that those terms from. Now, though- here's a weird thing, though, right, Jim? So, if you want to write a song, and you let's say you want to write a song about Nixon, for example, today, you could do that yes. if you give us enough context in the song to understand who he is and then what you're saying about him. So I don't want to I don't want to put the idea out there that like doing things that are biographical or, or historical in nature is wrong. The idea right. is that to speak to why if you're talking about something they did, like something that happened around it or or something specific about the event. Like if you want to talk about something about racism, for example, you could right. talk about racism in an abstract way. But if you right. want to talk about an event and that event is significant and you want to describe that event, like go for it because because that's fine. You're, you're giving enough context to the reader and to the listener that they don't care. Right. It, it's not like, so Mary Long from, uh, from um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that song. It's a Deep Purple song. And they're talking about uh, uh, basically Margaret Thatcher, right? right? But they don't call her Margaret Thatcher in the song. They call her Mary Long. Now, yeah. there, there, there is one problem with that. If you're not well-versed in history, you don't know who Margaret Thatcher is, and you don't know that they're actually talking about Margaret Thatcher. It may not diminish the impact of the song, but it does certainly change the meaning if you don't realize that they're like being sat- satirical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> right. Well, I mean, it's just like watching Monty Python's um, Holy Grail and then watching it right after you watch King Arthur's court there. It's, it's a, 
you Camelot, know, yeah. Yeah, Camelot, the movie Camelot, yeah. You, you kind of bring them together and you go, oh, that's why it's even funnier. Yeah. Or if you watch Spaceballs without ever having seen Star Trek or Star Wars, you'd be yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the- well, and that's the funny thing is like Spaceballs is really hard on Star Wars, but it's not hard on Star Trek. Yeah. Like, there's a couple of things in there, but it's not like super hard on Star Trek. The the beam me up snotty. Yeah, I think it's more or less because like for 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 um for them, they're kind of looking at Star Trek and going, Yeah, they pretty much made fun of themselves already. Like if you if you've watched any of this stuff, like you know that Star Trek is kind of a joke in and of itself, but right. Um right. It was self-parody at some points. <clears throat> so um yeah, so I, you know, I mean, obviously, write a song about anything you want. Write a song about sure. Tony. Sure. You know, it's and, just that. And know your audience, too, because I Dan brought up in the group, Dan Kish, um, he brought up in the group, he goes, you know, but there is this band, like, I know that, and I forget their name offhand, but he's like, there's this band I know, and they write all these cool songs about historical battles. And so some of that stuff's still common knowledge, like the Battle of Thermopylae. You'd see that a lot in like metal bands and that kind of stuff. That's that's the thing from 300. Like that stuff is legendary. And so you could probably write a song about that. And I think people will be able to relate to it. But if you got like super granular and you're like, I want to talk about that one skirmish, you know, before Iwo Jima, like what? <laughs> Nobody's going to understand that. Um, right. And, and then the other thing is you talk about a band that writes about serial killers. And I'm like, okay, that I kind of get too, because that's still in the public consciousness because that stuff was so salacious. Like Jeffrey Dahmer is common knowledge. You could talk to even young kids nowadays that are like in their, you know, 18, 19 year old, and they probably know the name. They may not know what he did, but they know enough. But you know, Jeffrey Dahmer will be studied in history. Oh yeah. And, and, and many of the other guys that were like, like son of Sam and a bunch of, you know, Ted Bundy and those people, like those guys will always be talked about. And I think in a lot of ways, they're more household names than even your current president. Right. Where That's what I was going to say, where Nixon would be somebody 50 years from now, people are still going to talk about Nixon. Because um, of the, infam- the infamy of what he did. But, but Johnson? Right. Maybe not. But Johnson? Or, or Garfield? Or Carter? Or Carter? Maybe Carter. I know, Carter's pretty infamous, infamous at this yeah. point. Carter was a drop in a bucket, a whisper in the wind. I mean, yeah, yeah. But some of these people, I mean, Lyndon Johnson, we'll be talking about him forever. You know, we'll be talking about certain people that, that again, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington. Well, yeah, like if you look yeah. back at your presidential history, I yeah. bet like Woodrow Wilson is not on the top of everybody's list. Right. You know what I mean? Like you ask me what, what Wilson did and I'll be like, I don't remember. Yeah, but, but and he's, I, and in I, the, the he's in the all in the family song. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> We had enough history talk. Let's talk about some guitars. Um, All right. Man, so I got that Kiesel, right? Yeah. Seven string. So how is the honeymoon going? So I can play a seven string now. Um, I don't really have any issues transitioning between a six and a seven string. Like I can pick up my six string and feel right at home. I actually like the bigger neck, the like wider surfboard of a neck that is a seven string. Um, Surprisingly like it. and um, I would say, like, I'm still pleasantly surprised with the quality of the guitar. I the pickups, dude. The, you know, I know Nick is is uh, Nick is our our show sponsor, and he makes great stuff. I would love to put a set of his pickups in a, in a seven string at some point, but I think it'll be that one. I'll yeah. be honest with you, the pickups that are in it are freaking great. You and do I, know that that's the beauty of of ordering a Kiesel. You can say send it to me without pickups. Yep. 
and I may in the future. So to, to be honest with you for like metal style guitars, I would be interested in ordering their pickups and putting them in other guitars. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, like I really, really dig the, the lithiums that are in it. Really? Um, and people hate them. Like, yeah, you go around and you dig around in forums and you know, people like the lithiums are so thin. Now, I will say this much. I can put my Mark V in crunch mode, which is more like a JCM 800 kind of sound, and yeah. I can do straight up metal because they're loud. They're, they're obnoxiously loud pickups. Well, you got to remember the, guy, the guys that are bitching in the forums are used to having, most likely, they're used to hearing or, or having 81s and 85s. Yeah, well, and and that's kind of what I figured. But you know what? They're a sterile sound, and they're also like super trebly. So why they say the Kiesels are so or the the um, lithiums from Kiesel are so bright? I just don't I don't get it. It really and and the other thing is they don't have a ton of bass for you know for like a super low output pickup with a sixty on the as the low B string. You'd yeah. think that it would be like muddy and like make the amp sound like it's gonna fart, but it's pretty solid. Um, I can actually turn the bass control up higher than I can on my S five hundred. So that that's be saying something. Be interesting to see what that sounded like through a clean bass, like a, a clean uh, Fender, or even a Roland JC. Yeah, because and 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 I I know exactly where you're saying that because for one thing, it's gonna drive it's gonna drive the amp harder, and especially with the older Fender amps, like they fart out if you have way too much bass and they go. Because <laughs> they they're already bass heavy. Yeah, and they puke, and it's yeah. it's pretty funny. Um, I don't. I see. I think like these pickups are designed more for like chugging. And to be honest with you, you know, a lot of guys think you want so much bass out of your pickups, but I, I find it completely the opposite. I want less and less. Like yeah. I need less bass because when I palm mute, it gets so damn bassy anyway that it's just you don't need it. Yeah. And I've also found my technique is modified slightly. I put my you know hand back farther towards the bridge and stuff too. But um, my only complaint is I got black pickup covers. Mm-hmm. And you I, I'm hitting the pickup cover with my pick because I do the downward pick slanting thing, and I'm just concerned that it's going to wear away the pickup I'm sure cover. But you if, know, if that's, it does. That's, it's that's wear on the guitar. It's not a big deal. That's right. It's a it's a war wound, and that's what you're going to get. So um, I'm going to ask you a silly question. Of course, you're going back and forth between your six and your seven, um, and and this might not be as as big a deal to somebody like you, but. So you're going back and forth. Number one, they've got to be different scale lengths, right? No, they're all 25 and a half. Oh, so you're, you, the one that you have and the ones you already had are 25 They're all 25 and a half. Almost all my guitars are 25 and a half. The only one that isn't is my, uh, my Shengze and my SG. Those are, those are 24 and three quarter. quarters. Mm-hmm. And um, so the other, uh, okay, so um, when, you, when you play your seventh string, do you find yourself um, only wanting to play the seven string or you saying, you know what, I'm going to. The seven string is kind of a crutch. I'm going to be honest with you, like just writing songs and coming up with riffs and stuff. I'm like playing around. I really want to chug on the open B because it's yeah. like, it, it just sounds really cool. And yeah. I mean, for like, but, but I know like if you do that for an entire record, it's, it's going to sound really repetitive. But you don't have to chug that. The fact that you have. I know, I know. And I, and I have to keep reminding myself, like, I'm just not comfortable yet with, like, okay, so I have this B, but I can play an E on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't. 
It's it's well, it's like when you learned how to play an A on a six string. I mean, you're just gonna just moving. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you got to remember we're talking about metal, like specifically, and that and that style of music. It's not uncommon for the for the songs just to end up in the key of E because or yes. you know, whatever key they're tuned to, um, yep. just because like they want that open string, you know. And so I don't have ten guitars for like ten different keys, so. I'm going to have to like learn to actually use, you know, like other notes on that low B other <laughs> notes. in order to get my, are, my usefulness out of it. There are other, other notes on the low well, B. I'll tell you this much playing conventional songs on a, on a, on a seven string. It's, it can be done. Like it's really, it, it, once you d- get used to it, it becomes a lot easier. Um, I've been playing cult of personality on seven string and like the only times where I stumble is where like, I have to switch from like lead playing to chords because you have to be cognizant of the fact that the chords look when you look visually look down at the fretboard, the chords look in a different place than they are. Yeah. And so often you're like, Oh, I'm going to hit that. Uh, I think it's a, it's an F chord. And like, I'll oh, be, yeah. hitting, I'll be hitting uh, uh, a C, you know? And it's like, yeah. wait a minute. No, that's a C. Oh, that's a C. Gotta go. Gotta go yeah. Another one. yeah. I love, I love the feel of that. Um, so as I've told you before, I, I went to a five string bass and honestly, going back to a four-string bass was like, why? And I know a lot of, of bass players who, when they went back to four-string, didn't go back to four-string as normal. They they tuned B E A D and left the G string off. They just said, "Okay, I'm going to use four strings. I'm going to go B A E D." Yeah, going to use the ones that I like, you know. Yeah. Um, I think so. With with electric guitar, I think six string still has like a really important place. And I I have so much knowledge of how to navigate a sixteen because I've been playing it for twenty years. I don't think that will ever leave my arsenal, per se. But I'm definitely going to be getting another seven at some point. Um, and I I would probably go for a seven that's more like my Janelles. Um, and I would think like I want a seven that's like my Janelles or the Bird's Eye Maple Neck because so, like best of both worlds kind of thing. And I'll probably I would probably do no neck neck pickup from Kiesel, and I would probably put an S five hundred in the neck or something. And uh, I would like to do, I would probably do a humbucker in the bridge, and, and maybe an S five hundred pickup in the, I mean in the middle if I do a middle at all. Yeah, just just because I th- I really like the sound of a single coil pickup for the neck. Um, I don't know, man. Like I really like these pickups. I can put I can put the selectors because a five way selector for for two pickups, and it's got it's got like a tele position, which is the the in between at the the bridge side. And then it has like an out of phase strat sound yep. at the at the the neck position, and I like both of them a lot. I, it was like, wow, it actually splits really, really well. I'll be damned. Wow, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I I um I think that if you're going to do something like that, you know, um, honestly, you know, a seven string has got so many as far as lead work goes for me at least. I could see a lot of use for a seven string. Because I, I, as soon as I learned, and it didn't take me long. It took me a couple of days to navigate a five string. I was like, why are people bitching about? And then you'd hear people go, "There's no tab for five string." Yeah, uh, I do. I that's one thing. At first, the first thing I did, though, Jim, is I'm like, I want to learn some metal tunes. I just got this brand new guitar. I'm like, I'm gonna yeah. go learn some Cannibal Corpse or something. And then I look and like all the bands that I was seeing playing seven strings are tuning down. They're like in like yeah. A sharp or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. So a low B is not enough for you? Like, 
What are you doing? Yep. What are you doing? Are you trying to play bass? Like what the hell? Yeah, there's got um, there's a lot of guys tuning down to uh, um, A and even uh, A flat, which I I can't imagine the string gauge at that point. Yeah, dude, like you're basically buying bass strings and throwing them on a guitar. Yeah, like that's that's the only way that works. Your lowest string has got to be like a G string on a, a bass. Yeah, it's a sixty. Yeah, sixty sixty two. You know? Oh, you're up there then, because I think yeah. the the G string's what forty forty five. Yeah, and you could probably get by with uh, you know, if you had if you had a multi scales like the the fan fret thing, you right. could probably go. I mean, lower. You could probably yeah. go to like a sixty four or sixty eight, like no problem. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So, I mean, I don't know if that's something you're doing, but yeah, you find out that these guys, these folks, are are tuning down way low, way low. Yeah, well, um, I'm just like they they can't be playing open at A sharp. Like, there's just no way in hell. Um, you know, and it would be one thing if it was like drop a, you know, but no, it's like the whole guitar is down a half step, a half step. with That's a seven string, thing. and you're like, where are you getting your string gauges? You know, like what the yeah. hell, man? Um, because yeah. Jim and I would have this discussion before the show. That's that's been another thing. Is like I went to go get seven string strings today, and uh, yeah. they had they had four sets at uh, at the the store that I do. I will not name. Um. And uh, it begins with a G and ends with a uh, R. Um, it ends with center. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, anyway, I just ran That's in there. Right, I they were like, they're close by. Well, I don't want good time. I feel like I'm not, you know, not shopping there. I went there real. I went there because they were close by and I wanted to see if they had any seatbelt guitar straps. Right. And they, they didn't, of course, because why would they have something I'd actually want? Um, and then they had four sets of seven string strings. They had in wax cells, but they were 10. 10 to 58s. Okay. Yeah. And then they had, um, they had, who else did they have? Uh, they had Ernie Ball Paradigms. And so I, I almost bought Ernie Ball Paradigms. I was this close because they really? had those at 10 to 60. You should, well, I, I would try them. I, I wouldn't. I don't, dude, like, I don't look that the paradigm is nothing more than their version of an NYXL. Yes. And I think it was done as a purely reactionary measure. And if it's anything like the quality of other Ernie Ball products that I've had, it's not going to measure up. Like it's yeah. it's it's one of those things where, yeah, like look, we do this great thing, but Ernie Ball to me is the budget string manufacturer. Okay, so if if you're in a pinch and like you got to have weed money that week, and it's it comes down to weed money or NYXLs, like I get it why people use Ernie Balls, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But they don't do anything for me. I've never had a string from them I've actually liked. So that's funny. When I w- in the early days of guitar, I used to buy them because they were cheap, you know. And I would be like, "Oh God, like why are these so crappy compared to the elixirs I just pulled off?" And and I, I kid you not, I have pulled Ernie balls out of the package that have been rusty, and and I oh. wish that was I wish that was a lie. But you could see the rust on them, and you're like, I don't know about that. I don't feel like I need to touch the shot today. So I. I have had uh, I've had Ernie balls come out. They weren't the ones I got. I've had them rusty. I've also had them where the the ties at the at the loop at the end, yeah. where the the you know how they bring back that wrap, right? Right. Where that wasn't tied down, and it literally cut my finger. Oh, oh, Jim, we gotta we gotta announce something on the show. So we have new we have new T shirt designs. Yes, I was going to announce that. Yeah, so just talk about the wraps. You'll see why that's important when we talk about them. 
Yes. So anyway, yeah, I got I, I got my finger cut a, a couple of times, a couple of different times, not just one pack. But I was I was this back when I was poor and I could barely scrape up enough money to go buy strings. Um, and I would go get strings for, you know, for gigs. And then, of course, instead of using the money that I made from a gig to buy new strings, I'd go out and buy another guitar, which I couldn't put strings on because I couldn't afford them. Um, so nice. Yeah. So we have a, um, we have a new t-shirt coming. We have, um, we have a pair of them actually. Yes. And the first one, which I want to talk about first, which I've already ordered one of. Do you, is, do you remember? Oh. Does anybody remember? I'm going to take you way back. Right. Like episode, like 20 something. Right. Yeah. Where we were talking about pickups and how important pickups are to your tone. And then yeah. I made a comment about the hierarchy of tone right and in that episode i actually made a joke about how i was going to make a t-shirt that had the hierarchy of tone on it this is a reality now i have done this it is real so folks it looks like the food pyramid david david worked an entire day yeah i did i did actually on the artwork so i don't feel bad about paying full price i paid full price same price you guys would for sure i did not get a discount um, and, uh, I ordered one, uh, hopefully it's big enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I ordered one. Um, oh, I, I hope to swim in mine. I'm going to look like Marlon Brando. Did you go for the four X? <laughs> I got a three X, but uh, I went with the one or the two one X. You're, you're tiny though, Jim. You're like a midget. Yeah. But I'm, so I'm going to have, uh, uh, um, the, the pyramid of tone on a dark blue shirt. It's a Navy blue shirt with, uh, so. Here, here's the cool part, everybody. So I did this art, right? And I and I took all these different concepts, and I I actually made full size art, and then just shrunk it down to put it on the t shirt. So I'm gonna do some other shirts that are based on the art concepts that went into the big one. So the first one of those is already debuted, and that's the uh, the second shirt that we're offering, which is um, I don't have it sitting in front of me, but it is the PR one W, which is a boss style pedal that says practical on it and it is it is literally the practical pedal right and the um you will find that the knobs have control over things like humor and uh the other knob is um is information or info and then one of the one of the knobs is the p and v switch uh or and no that's a switch that's not a knob and I forget what the other knob is. There's another knob on there that's like really, but it's basically, it's a show that if you plug, or it's a pedal that if you plug it in, it will play the show for you. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the concept behind it. So it's a cool shirt. I hope you guys like it. Um, I made it for, for you all to purchase and hope you enjoy representing your love for our show for all the poor schmoes out there who have no idea how great Jim and I really think we are. Which yeah. Totally, totally. Totally not. Shit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, it is the, the humor, gripe, and info knobs. All right, um, so our, our Teespring um, link. It's not Teespring. Is, uh, that's right. It's not Teespring. We, we, we will investigate Teespring at some point in the very near future, but um, we're using Threadless. Threadless, that's right. I believe it's practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com. And that is correct. So you need to go out there if you're interested in buying one of the shirts. Um, I got them up there for rock bottom prices. We basically pocket like two bucks to put towards the show. 
Um, you will find that there is a dark shirt and there is a light shirt for both of the designs. You pick the dark one if you want to get a dark color with a white logo on it. And then you pick the light one if you want black logo on a lighter colored shirt. So, right. and of course, we still have our regular uh, Practical Guitarist podcast um, logo stuff, which is just, you know, shirts, mugs, all that stuff. And then one of them has actually a hooded sweatshirt, um, which is a little bit ostentatious, but um, I think maybe people would be interested in that. That's always been a popular item for other people. I'd like to think that I'm just as popular as everyone else, but I know that's complete horseshit. <laughs> well, so I, I went with the uh, um, I went with the navy blue one, like I said, an extra large. Uh, I I love folks. I can't wait to do an unboxing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how long it takes for these things to ship. <clears throat> yeah, it might be a couple of days. Uh, but whatever, it'll get here. Um, I'm I looking that, forward to it. I need that guitar pick that's on the logo, man. Like we were talking about that before the show. I know, yeah. I made my dream guitar pick right there. Pick, and uh, so yeah, we've got it. Uh, uh, so he went through the the trouble of creating this this uh, pedal that's on the T-shirt. Now, as I said, folks, you know we don't make a lot of money on this just for fun. So if you guys want to order one, please get in there. Pack of guitarists. Yeah, I mean, they're basically at cost. There's like yeah. a two, like I said, there's like a two dollar margin there. Practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com. Um, we're not we're not pushing this real hard, but if you get a chance, go in there and take a look. Um, I'm going to order a coffee mug next. Yeah, um, dude, I want to get like the the pedal on a coffee mug. Yeah, yeah, I want to get the pedal on a coffee mug. Honestly, in black with the white the white pedal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So anyway, if you get a, if you get a chance to do something like that, and you and you, you know you want to represent. Um, then please do represent a lot of fun. Um, and then people will ask you, what the heck is a practical guitarist? So speaking of what the heck is a practical guitarist. So I left the uh, variety band, but I have joined a, um, a new cover band and no sooner did I join the new cover band, but we got picked up for me by management. So what does that mean? That means my, my weekends this summer will be gone. Um, and I will be gigging um, pretty much every weekend um, for the most part, all summer long. So the, uh, uh, that means that I, I got my pedal board in place just in time. I am putting up a video. I, I put up a video of me putting the, um, uh, the magnets. And then promptly I took those magnets off and I just used um, the, the dual lock or whatever it was. <laughs> I wasted $20 on two magnets. But anyway, um, I'm putting you can waste them because someday you'll have a flat board, Jim, and then you'll, yeah, be, yeah I got the magnets. This is going to be great. Well, the only time I'll go to a flat board, and it is likely, is when I get rid of the dirt pedals at the bottom, which yeah. if, if things work out. So today, folks, that's what I was leading to. Today, I got the HXFX, and I figured out all by my lonesome. Well, I had a little bit of help. Screw enough. you, Jim. Yeah, by <laughs> all my lonesome, how to um, control the amp one via the HX specs. So I, I got the um, the adapter cable, as some of you saw in the group. I hooked it up, and uh, I turned on the HX specs. I go inside the thing, and I'm like, okay, how do I tell it to do a MIDI connect? And, uh, of course, you probably <laughs> go the controllers. I had figured that out, actually, by that point. But I was sitting there in the controller, like, there's five sets of controls you can set. I know which one it isn't. 
There was one, it was not immediately, and that was it was not the amp controller because it was not, it, it wasn't going out the, uh, yeah, the regular, uh, controls. which, which would be honest with you, Jim. I mean, unless you're like already using that port for something else, that's probably the easiest way to do what you're doing. Well, no, now see, that's where I'm going to get you. What you can't do with the amp one, um, any other way is to send out a thing to turn on the boost, the reverb, and, and choose any of the four. The only thing you can do with a controller from the the regular amp controller, two-button foot switch, without MIDI. Yeah, it's just change channels. Is to change two channels. That's it. Yeah. And turn the reverb on and off. You can't right. turn the boost on, Or you can turn the boost on and off. You can't do both. I can do both. Right. Um, and I can choose channels other than the one that the dial is selected to. And I have control of the volume, the tone, everything else. So I can go to a complete different setup. Um, oh, so you can actually send, so you can send your, um, your EQ controls via MIDI over there. Yeah. You can send the whole thing. Yeah. Cause it I was, exactly. cause I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the manual like a while back and they didn't list the, uh, I didn't see the, the tone controls as continuous controllers in there. So yeah, what he, yeah, what he did was he put, um, uh, there's a there's a secondary set of controls that you have access to, but you only have access to it via MIDI. No, no, but I, I, I'm just saying, like I, because so all MIDI devices are supposed to have a MIDI spec sheet, um, because MIDI 1.0 is like so ancient now. Companies have just basically stopped getting MIDI certified, so that's part of the reason why MIDI 2.0 is now a thing. Um, but they stopped getting certified, so what went, so what ended up happening was that. Uh, they weren't putting up the cards and explain like, okay, so if you want to change this and you need to send over this controller message. And so a lot of it's just like textual in the manual, but yeah. I, I assumed that you could preset the tone controls and save those presets inside the unit and then just recall them. But I didn't know you could actually like send a continuous controller over and turn the knob effectively. Cause what a continuous controller is for our listeners. If you're not familiar with MIDI is like one zero to one twenty seven. That's the numbers you can send over, and it's basically 127 positions on a potentiometer. Um, and but it's in a completely digital format, so it sends it over to the unit, and then you can, you know, have your have your way with it. So, yeah, um, that's really yeah, cool so he, that they do that. I was, yeah, I was looking up in the manual, but it, it's a um, it's a secondary set of control, the same controls, uh, secondary. So it's. Um, and it's the only way to get to those uh, those controllers. Or they call it switchable power soak. I can do. Yeah, but that's so. Basically, you don't need the the foot controller to access those functions because, like, the way that the the way that he sells the unit is like, oh, well, you got to have the foot controller to get that. So really, the only thing you need the foot controller for is you're going to use the looping system. Yep. And honestly, I think what you're doing, setting up by the HXFX or some other multi effect system with with the amp one is probably just a much better alternative in general yeah. um just because of you know compactness and all that because if you've seen his foot controller it's twice the size of the amp one yeah. it's the size of an es5 and i mean then you're limited on what you're going to patch through it so like for you strymon guys those big box pedals that strymon puts out they're they're pretty big and uh they're they're basically like three foot switches in, in one pedal and because of that like you can't load your board up with that plus the the um the amp one controller and then the amp one itself. It would just be it would be you would you would be at a pedal train pro at that point or whatever it is. 
big one, the Terra. Um, so yeah, I, again, I I get it. Like if you if that's your jam and that's what you want to do, like go for it. I just yeah. don't think that. Um, I think for a lot of people that that's just too much rig. <laughs> like it's just too much yeah. stuff to deal with. And it's honestly, just- Jim, now that you've done the MIDI programming, like. You, do you understand what I was telling you though about just being a giant pain in the butt to set, oh, yeah. up, to set up patches on multiple pieces of equipment? Yep, super easy once you know how to do it. Well, it it is to a point like you're not dealing with as many pieces of gear as I had that were that were MIDI controllable. And no, because every time you add one, it gets that much worse. Yep, and you'd have to add another. I'd have to add another channel. I can control up to six items at a time with one switch. Right. So I can say okay. If I do this, I can go, okay, because the way I learned how to do it, believe it or not, this guy had it up. He was, of course, a worship dude, had it up um, uh, controlling it for his ambient sounds, right? Mm-hmm. So he sent his HX effects, told his, um, his looper to do one thing, his timeline to do another, his fixed guy to do another, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> and all he had to do was pick, you know, one of those six um, items that you can, you can do it at a time. Yeah. And um, he'd say, okay, this one will be for tell MIDI channel one, go do this. MIDI channel two, go do this. MIDI channel three, go do that. They all sent, because obviously that's what MIDI can do. They all sent out and sent those signals at the same time. (coughs) It's pretty cool. Um, You know, I mean, uh, he had uh, for a synthesizer and some effects pedal thing and that next update, they're blowing the lid off the MIDI integration. So yeah, I have a feeling it's going to do a lot more stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if you can send a hell of a lot more information over than one than six items on a key press. Oh, I know that's good because it's it's pretty comprehensive. And the other thing is, like with all these devices, you could theoretically rack about anything that's MIDI yeah. and just put a controller on the floor yeah. and never even have to see that crap. Well, see now that's the thing. So all this work I did to get the amp one locked down the pedal board. And you're, you're now, well, now, yeah, now you're thinking like, you're thinking now I got a MIDI, like I should just put all this stuff in a drawer in a rack. And I can put it it in the rack. Yeah. You could put it in a, on a drawer in a rack or on a shelf in a rack. And then the, the nice thing about that is somebody's supposed to beer in your controller. I mean, hell those, those Behringer FCB one oh ones, they're dirt cheap. And you get them for under a hundred bucks now. Yep. What are, they, what are they going for? I'm gonna look it up while we're talking. But you can take over. So, I know you got things. To yeah, they make a they make a thing for the um, uh, some group of people. Of course, the you know the HX effects, this HX stop, the HX um, the Helix LT and the Helix. There's a company that makes these really super cool covers, so that if oh yeah yeah I know who it is. Yeah, I know who it is. Yeah, I know it is. But you know what? I'll be honest with you. Those covers, I wouldn't buy one. I think that's I I. I don't think that they're built as well as they look. And I think they limit the functionality of the device. So like you can't use the, um, the capacitance the capacitive touch. But the other thing is like, once you, once you put one of those shields, like the sun shield, I guess is okay. You put yeah. the, uh, you put the, 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 what I like to call the, uh, the helix condom on. And, um, yeah. when you go to step on it, like you're just stepping on crinkly plastic, eventually it's going to break and you're going to have water it's coming not, in. That's just it though. I mean, I've, I've been Screen protectors Navy. make sense. Right. I was in the Navy long enough, and I've been around um, uh, Mariners long enough to know that every time you put a, a cover over something that, that protects against water, it yeah. eventually breaks down or and just cracks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, especially the kind of water you'd be exposing it to because 
you've got trace elements of salt and everything. Yes. And the, um, especially cause I'll be playing at the beach a lot this summer. So we'll, yeah. we'll see, we're going to, we're going to see how this rig um, holds up, uh, when it comes to the summer. Well, I, I'm honestly like, I could see you going with the HX effects for a while and then just getting, getting a rack helix yep. putting the, the, uh, amp one in there to, to just drive your rig. Um, I'm honestly like, I'm so torn right now. I, I have this fantasy that this year I will buy a uh, Rivera Fandango that I find on reverb for like 600, 700 bucks. Yeah. And then I, I will not buy another cabinet because I'll probably buy a combo. I, I really want to do a head, but there's just not a lot of Rivera heads out there. Like most of the guys are buying combos. Um, cool. And then I will, I, the other, the other part of this fantasy is like, I will probably just buy a power amp for my helix. Yep. And run it in cab. I'll probably do an FRFR thing. So here, the um, this is a reality that that struck me recently. So when someone um, got my SG, I did for a brief moment. You're like, I'm going to get an, a Helix LT, right? Say, you know, no, I was going to go full blown Helix. Full yeah, yeah. And I would have totally understood why at that point. Yeah, and it still crossed my mind. The time is not up. So I, I'm going to make a, a small announcement. No, there's um, a blizzard coming. The, it's not going to happen, Jim. There's going to be some really shitty weather. And, and I, I apologize for swearing, but there's going to be a really bad blizzard that hits Virginia Beach. There's a vortex right now spinning up you, over like Kansas. Yep. And do you really think that a blizzard will hit us? I mean, they say that the blizzard is coming Tuesday. Yeah. And it's not going to be the blizzard of Oz either. Like it's, no. yeah. Um, so if if we get a blizzard Tuesday, everybody will uh, hunker down. Yeah, a fender blizzard, <laughs> and like a fender bender. <laughs> May as well just say what it is. <laughs> no, you haven't said anything else. So I'm not saying anything else. Let the people wonder. Let me let me just Google those two words. Fender blizzard. <laughs> yeah. Guess what. Is there There's actually right of right at first thing? Is there actually a thing? Yeah. All right. All yeah. right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, guys, I'll just. I'll I just, just spilled the beans really bad. Apparently, I'm sorry, Jim. Did I ruin I, your day? I didn't say the word fender. You're um, the one so, that talked about the blizzard, man. I did. I said the blizzard before the show. You were like, "We're going to talk about the blizzard that's coming," and I'm like, "Okay, I get you." Like, wink, wink. I got it. So I'm getting a, a Blizzard Pearl Fender um, uh, Deluxe HSS. And he's going to have it for like three days, and then he's going to return it and get a Helix. Well, if I, yeah. <laughs> if, <laughs> I, I'm my prediction. Well, that's, yeah, if, if I don't like it, that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, and you should take the HX effects oh, back, too, when you do Oh, that. yeah, that's what's doing. That's what's happening. So you'll get it. So you'll, you'll double down. Yep. You'll, get, you'll get nothing for your HX effects because it's out of the 30-day. <laughs> no, it's it's inside the forty-five day window. Is it really? And what are you doing, Jim? Why did you order another guitar? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like honestly, Jim, I'm sitting here shaking my head at you right now. I'm like, what are you doing? Like this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I know. So we'll see. I I mean, I I have a feeling I'm going to like it. So for those who who are unaware, the uh, the deluxe series, uh, the twenty, I think it's a twenty sixteen is when the deluxe series re re uh, launched. Are changed, um, and uh, they put a flat. Uh, they put Fender noiseless pickups in them, um, and they've got a very flat fretboard. It's twelve inch flat fretboard. That's not very flat. 
It's flatter than the ones that that's made. not D- Jim. That's not very flat. You can Compared go. To you, might, you got an you got an Ibanez in your background somewhere. No, yeah, yeah, the background. That's fifteen inches. Okay, it's like fifteen point seven five. You can get Kiesels like like, and they consider these to be like kind of standard guitars now. Twenty inch radius. Like, if I wanted to play classical guitar, I'd buy a freaking classical guitar. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that, <laughs> that's like that, playing guitar on a two by four. Yeah, I was going to say at that point you're just playing guitar on a, on a board. Yeah. I'm just talking about relative to seven and a half or nine and a half inch. Yeah. Rates. No, and that, and I prefer twelve. Like, pretty even my twenty five and a half inch scale guitars, like all of them are twelve except for one. So. So yeah, this has got the HSS. It's also got the S one, which. Okay, so um, I'm going to tell this story. Yeah, yeah, crap. Well, I I played, all right, so I played an uh, S1-equipped HSS noiseless deluxe back in. Oh, listen to them get get the model numbers out and like. (laughs) No, I just remember when they they said. I'm just teasing, Jim. Relax. We got this S1 and and they they made a big deal. I thought it was like, oh, you got to try our S1 switch. Of course, like like they do everything. Yeah. I, I. of course, went down to the store. Oh, you guys got one of the S1 fenders? Oh, yeah, we got one here. I try. I really liked it. I did like it. But I, again. Well, the I S1 have, is just a seven way, right? Yeah. They, they turn it into. They turn it into a seven way. Okay. So what you've got is the three way, right? And I, I've never had a three way. No, it's no, no, it's more than a seven way. Mine are usually so a five way. It's a five way switch. If you push the S1 in. The S1 um, in the bridge position splits the bridge pickup. Oh, H- that's good because it's got a because it's got an HSS configuration. I thought right. that I thought you could get like three S1s. Right, but right, it's like a mid boost if you push it. What it does is then right, it puts the bridge pickup in with any of the other pickup combinations. So now you've got. So now you can go. I, I have that on my guitars too. It's 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 a little switch on there. Yeah, you got the same one. No, same thing. it's the same idea. It is, but it's not done the same way. It's There's not, not a push one. button. It's not a push push button. It's a it's a freaking toggle switch. Toggle switch, which I prefer because then I don't have to worry about whether it's pushed in or not. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So you can you can push the toggle switch in, and now you can have the the neck with the bridge or the neck and the middle and the bridge which can sure 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 right right so that's it's an eight-way switch mm-hmm. with the with the with the sss it would be considered seven right right and and i think they actually did they did what they called the super switch originally which was a seven-way blade selector and yeah. then later on they rebranded it as the s1 switching yeah. system and whatever it's not s look it's just it's just extra switches i mean like to be honest with you, the reason why I kind of I kind of thumb my nose at this stuff in general is because like the Stratocaster in general has been around since like the dawn of time as far as electric guitar is concerned. That's right. And so for me, it's like, do we really need other positions? And okay, I know, so- I know, J- Jim. I, I, I wanted to say something before you before you take over. I know that like humbucker single single is like a different animal, but to be completely honest with you. If you get the right set of single coils, you don't need a humbucker. You just got to have the right set of single coils to to make those sounds. And I'm sure that uh, Nick over at Great Lakes Guitar Pickups could probably make that a reality for anyone in our group who is interested. <laughs> I'm sure he can. Yes. Um, so yeah, the the uh, you know it. How do I say this? 
The yeah, <laughs> he's he's laughing at me. I'm not laughing. Um, I was licking my lips. Oh, and, the, and of course it's got the two point tram. Anyway, the um, and I wanted a maple fretboard. So yeah. this guitar is when they say is it, is it a finished maple fretboard? I don't know. Because if it's finished, it's going to sound like razor blades. Because the um, uh, I can tell you this that it looks in the pictures, it looks truly white. Like, yeah, it's probably so. It's not tinted. First right. off, so like, right. Th- all right, I'm going to pull a guitar off the wall, and I know that our listeners can't see this, but I want to show it as a visual aid to Jim. So this is my my red legacy, and you can see that neck. It is finished. But you can see it's tinted maple, and it is yep. yellow. It's got like an orange glow to it. Yep. Um, this is pretty standard for when you see maple that's finished. Now they put a tint in it to make it look vintage. But it's that that coloring actually happens because the um, the original nitrocellulose lacquer finishes would age in the sunlight and they turn yellow. But here's where we're getting crazy. Right? So here's my non-tint Stratocaster. S500, and you can see that it is quite a bit more pale. Yes. Um, this is a satin finish. If you're going to do, I, I still like, all right, even though I have the Kiesel, which is uh, which is tongue oil, like just basically no finish. Um, I still think that tongue oil is, I at bare minimum, you have to put something on it. I know people buy guitars unfinished. I think you have to have a finish on there, especially with maple, because maple is really stable. But the problem is, if you don't seal it, it is really prone to moisture warping and stuff. So it looks like it's sealed. I'm looking at a picture. They're not going to sell you a guitar that is probably satin finish. That's that's what I would suspect, because the deluxe line is usually satin. Yeah, I'm looking at one at uh, at uh, Sweetwater, where which means it. you're going to get a warmer sound out of the maple than you would if it were if it were gloss finish. I know that there are people in the group that are like poo poo this, but having owned both, um, satin tonally is more well rounded, whereas um, you get a, like a huge mid spike above five k in in every finished maple neck I've ever heard. I cannot stand the sound of finished maple, and I won't do it again. Um, this guitar that I bought here was specific for the show. And so I'll, I'll, I'll hang on to it as a pickup thing, but uh, I'm going to be completely honest. Like I wouldn't do it again because it's not like, it just does not have the sound. And I, and I've already commented on my wife that like at the end of the year, this year we're done with this pickup thing. I may, I may, uh, I may go on the block just because I know yeah. it. it's not that it's just not, it's just not me. Like that's not the sound I like. And maybe I'll bond with it over the, the next year. But, but at this point, um, it's just one extra guitar I don't need, and I could sell that in something else, and maybe get an S five hundred, USA S five hundred again, or another yeah. USA S five hundred, or I could sell it and maybe get a Kiesel Delos or something. Um, yeah. Actually, I would probably get an Osiris, and because I like the headless design, and I would probably just get an Osiris with a hum single single or something. Yeah, I'd have to pay extra for that, but it'd be worth it. So I have to kind of laugh in a way because this is really Fender going back to what they did with the American Deluxe in, I want to say, 2003. Yeah, and those didn't go away. I mean, so the Fender Deluxe HSS is basically the, what do they call the one that's two grand, the the really expensive one? Elite. Yeah, it's the same thing as the Elite, except right. this one's made and it's imported. In Mexico. Yeah, right. it's imported. 
Um, and who knows where the parts are made at? It may be assembled in Mexico, but the neck might come from China or something. Like, I'm not going to get into that. Yep. But the point is that this is this is that that same unit, same right. model thing. I hope yours is as pink as the one in the picture you sent me. Because <laughs> it because it looks like no, it's a sharp color. Like I like that. Even though you're going to return it and get a uh, Helix LT or a Hel- or Helix uh, floor. The Helix. Um, actually, Jim, if you're going to do it, like I would totally, I would, I would, in my, me in your shoes, I would, I would stop and I'd say, is it worth the extra two hundred bucks to rack mount it? Right. I and honestly, I would. I would if if I if I had the forethought going back in time, I would have bought the rack mount version. Yeah, and stuck it back behind your hip. Yeah, yeah. Well, and only because like it's safer to cart around, um, and you don't have to worry about people spilling beer on it. If they if oh, they wow. ruin your controller, they ruin your controller. You get another one. Um. So. Yeah. But I know the kind of gigs you're playing like right now are beer gigs and. Yeah, and dancing yeah. and beer gigs. Well, it got beer lock- gigs and outdoor. Uh, yeah, it's lock- locking tuners on too. That's nice. Yeah. It's like I said. It's the American. It, I looked at one of these when I had mine. Um, when I first got mine, so mine was mine's an American standard. And so yeah. when I went to get a, you know, when I went to look at a new big one, because I really, yeah, it's got the old big headstock. Um, but anyway, it um, when they came out with the S one, they and they put it only in the deluxe that you. Um, I said, geez. And a, and a friend of mine had the deluxe without the S1, and I really liked his. Um, and uh, he had the. Uh, well, let me know. Pickups you know. Out put in the, um, of course, I think they were noiselesses that they first put in the, um, the, the early uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn models. Oh, I didn't think they ever put noiseless in the Stevie Rays. Oh, they were the, no, they were the Texas specials. Texas specials. That's different. Yeah, Texas specials. So no, are, they put the noiselesses in the Clapton models. I actually think the Fender noiseless pickups, the ones they're doing, are pretty good. However, yeah. I will say this much: I I think where you're going to fall in lo- fall out of love with this guitar very quickly is the humbucker. Yeah, you got dude. You've got PRSs that the pickups in this thing are never going to be able to compare to what you're going to get out of a PRS, and then you're already throwing money at it. I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah. I think for $824, the guitar should come out of the box playable and have, and have all the features in it. Cause you could go buy an SE and be way happier for a lot less money. Um, I know SEs are like a similar amount of money, but I'm saying if you bought a used SE, which they're, you can find them anywhere. Um, you're going to get better pickups. Cause I, I know fenders, humbuckers suck. I know people that like the new ones. They're like, Oh, the new fender humbuckers are really good. I I have not found them to be good at all. I hate the fact that they're still mounting stuff in pick guards when they put a humbucker in it. Um, it should have like a ring or something, or it should be it should have some sort of like body contact going on there because I th- I think that really helps Fender style guitars, yeah. um, especially for like a humbucking pickup. And and I know they re- they made like the atomic humbuckers in the in the nineties and stuff. I still don't think that they're like really where they should be. Um, and I know a lot of people who who have swapped even like guitars made in the last five years from them with Seymour Duncan's because the uh, the humbuckers are just better. Yeah. I mean, that's what gets me is when you go to these major companies, and we've talked about this on the show before, man. Like Gibson, Epiphone, Fender, you know, Squire, whatever. Yeah. You pay for the name, and you don't get what you would get if you went somewhere else. And it's really kind of embarrassing because. 
we know they have the, the R&D money already put in there because the, the, the pickup you get in this guitar is the same pickup you'd get in any other humbucker equipped Strat below the $1,000 price tag. So Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you, there, there are actually Epiphones now coming with um, with uh, Seymour Duncan's Loaded, which is the weirdest thing because uh, that's... that's uh, yeah, I know. And, and, and you got to be careful there too because Seymour Duncan has a line of pickups they're not making in the States anymore. And they do it for OEMs. Um, that's what I've heard anyway. I don't know if that's, I, I, Nick probably knows. I, that's, I have heard, so they had Duncan designed, right? Which is like pickups that Duncan specifies and then the manufacturer makes. But I also have heard that there are like like OEM Duncans that are only available via OEM that are not made in the States. They're made by somebody else and yeah. put into guitars so that they could put the Seymour Duncan name on. Seymour Duncan didn't want to do that originally because they wanted the Duncan name to be made in the say and like all that. But there's just too much market share for them not to do it that way. So if that's yeah. not true, sound off the group. Sure, let me know. Like, but I've I think I remember reading somewhere that both and it's not just Duncan that's doing it. It's Duncan and Demarzio are both doing that. So, wow, that guitar is kind of pink. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I so I've been in the room where they actually take those pictures, and I wonder if it's just the reflection off the floor. It could be and color correction. That's probably the cut. The camera's probably auto correcting. I just can't. Well, then it would probably take on the colors um, of any room. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's reflective. You'll see it's high, it's high metal flake, and that's definitely a satin finished neck. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. So it is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a satin finish like with a light tint in it. Yeah, I don't like those slick necks. Uh, well, it's no satin will be way more slippery than than a gloss neck. Problem is the gloss neck sticks to you. I don't. That's what I mean. Well, I you don't said like that. slippery. You said oh, slick. That, I, no, yeah, I meant uh, I meant glossy. Yeah. So and the other thing, keep in mind. Um, so, oh, this has a freaking offset. Look at the uh, look at the trim cover on the back. It's got mm -hmm. an offset screw in it. That's weird. See how one screw is like higher than the other? Why the hell do they do that? No. Yeah. I don't know. I see that on the back of this one too. Yeah, it's weird. And uh, both of my both of my PRSs are that way. Oh, they they have a trim cover with an offset screw. Offset screw. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I don't care. I just think that's kind of weird because like first thing I do is take trim covers off. Yeah, this is the same here. <laughs> Put them in a bag. I just hear dog. There's. I don't even know why they're bothered to do it anymore. You can see a sock in the back of that guitar right there. If yeah. you saw the back of it. <laughs> yeah, well, so I don't think the I would put it. I don't think I would put a sock in my guitar, but I have put Kleenex in there. Like rolled up Kleenex and then with a, a thing of, of uh tape around it just so it will like impact the springs and keep it from vibrating. And I you can hear the difference. I cut a sock up. Yeah, but Jim, you, that was not a new sock, right? That it was, was, a, it was, it was Oh, okay. All right, all right. I don't rare. know. You're a bachelor. Well, you're basically a bachelor. You're living by yourself pretty much. I, what happened was I had a sock. I had one sock that had a hole in it. So I needed another sock for that one. So oh I took God. that. So then I had another sock that was sitting around. So I said, okay, I got one brand new sock. Is that, is that tone fabric? And it was, it was high tone. It was tone, it wool, came from tone wool. Tone wool. It, it's tone wool. And it, it came from it was a, tone uh, full. The sheep that S H I T. It came from a sheep that ah, could sing. 
if, if you have sheep that are singing, I'm going to ask that you stop with the medicinal cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> so people just know I have never smoked pot in my entire life. No, you're not the only one, Jim. Nope. David hasn't either. We are, we are two boring guys. Yeah, we are really two boring and crazy guys. Yes, very, very much so in, in both <laughs> aspects. Anytime I can get some, uh, never, I, I gotta be never honest. Mind, I'm not going there. I've been wanting to fall in love with a strat, uh, you know, for years. Give it up, Jim. It, it's give it up. Leave it, leave the territory for me. Leave it for the people who understand, get it, <laughs> get it, who appreciate Jimmy Hendrix all of it's the right way. Yeah, I don't play Jimi Hendrix the right way. I play Jimi Hendrix the way he would have played it, which is all over the place. <laughs> <coughs> so but, yeah but yeah. but i have a butt and it's in a chair well, we'll it's kind of sore we'll, right now we'll see what happens we'll see if uh because if i do fall in love with it you know all right all right so we talked a lot about gear this episode that's right I'm, I'm gonna what else are we gonna talk about oh we're gonna talk about something else alternate tuning yeah let's well so before we before we move on i have to shame you because you're buying mm-hmm. a, 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 another fender a guitar fender. You have bought how many Fender guitars in the last mm-hmm. life? There's a red strap behind you right now. There's, yeah, there's a, a Butterscotch Telecaster. There's a Butterscotch Telecaster. You, you, didn't you have another there's one in between? Assets. You should have yeah, just I, kept the PRSs and been done with it. You yeah. don't need any other guitars, Jim. Those PRCEs are totally versatile. And every time you come to me, and you're like, I need something else that does this or this. I just shake my head and I'm like, no, you got two PRSC. You got CE and SE. What you need to do is you need to sell that SE. You need to see that sell that butterscotch telly. You need to sell the that, or you need to get back the fender you're bringing in. To get yourself a helix and get yourself another CE, and then you're done. You got everything you need. Yeah. Well, I keep one guitar tuned down. That that's tuned down to uh, E flat. Yeah, but that, but you got to back up. Like if one you break a string on the main CE, you grab that one and tune it up. Except you have to have a Floyd. Do you need the Floyd? Be honest. No. 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 So that's why I said, like, sell it and get a, get another CE. Get a hollow body CE. So you have a little bit of variety. Leave that as your down-tuned model. And then when you have to, like, if you break a string and you need another guitar, grab that one, tune it up real quick. Well, I want to try to get my rig through the through the winter and see what happens. That's kind of where I'm going, where I am. So unless, the, unless I hate the strap, which is a possibility. I, I don't think you're going to hate it. I don't think you're going to hate it. I don't like this one. This is my kids. It's Jim, not- Jim, my concern is you're going to get this strat and, you, and you're going to waste the 45-day return period on the HXFX. You need to make a real hard, fast decision about whether you think you're going to bomb with that guitar because I think you're making a bad bad mistake by not by not going to the Helix. Oh, I'll know right away. You better because I can just see... Hey, Jim, just <laughs> like the Pullen Blue ST that you had that you're like, I'm not, I'm not selling it. It's too beautiful. Like... You had it for this long ass time, and he, and I was sitting there thinking, I was like, "When's he gonna sell it?" Like, I know it's coming. I'm always waiting for it. I was like, "When's he gonna do it?" And you did it. It and, was right out of the blue too. And I'm just concerned that like you're gonna do the same thing here. You're gonna get the strat in, and you're gonna have it for a couple couple weeks, and then you're gonna be like, "I don't really like it," and you'll return that, but you'll have missed out on the opportunity to just go ahead and get the full on helix. Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised you get the helix. You may not want the amp one anymore. That's just it. I would probably go amp oneless. Yeah, I mean, I I I get it. Like, I I do get it that why you would not do that. Just remember that it, you really. So, if you were going to do that, you have to get you have to go full range, like right out of the box. 
if yep. you're going to do that. So just yep. be aware that like sell off the amp one, pick up a power cab. Right. Cause I did try the power cab again and I liked it. I think but it was, have. I think it was not the way they had it set up was improper. The first time I went, the second time I went, I got a lot more good vibes out of the power cab. Um, and I could definitely gig a power cab. I don't. So I've heard some people saying they're not loud enough. I think those people are expecting it to be like Marshall stack loud. And really, I mean, it's, it's a one by 12, like get used to it. It's not a two twelve. Um, so I think you would, if you, it would fit right as right at home with, with you and what you're doing. Cause you, you play in places where the people are like, you have to keep it down so I can hear the drink orders, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and that's, and that's exactly what. It's the cold, hard reality things. That's the, well, my point is like, you have a PA that can keep up with everything. So really it's just, there as a stage monitor for you. Right. And the PA is doing all the heavy lifting. So the power right. cab's fine. It sounds really good. I'll be honest with you. It sounds much better than the, than the cheapy PA cabs I've tried. So yeah, I would definitely. Yeah, I don't think a PA cab could do anything here. Oh, no, no. The cheaper the cheaper PA cabs, like, are not good. But if you go to, like, a four or $500 PA cab, you'd be fine. You could you don't need a power cab at that point. The idea behind the power cab that really sells it for a lot of people is the fact you can do speaker modeling. But I think that's a gimmick. I think if you're going to yeah. use it as an FRFR, it does well, a really good job. If you're using it for the amp one, you've already got all. You've got your IR. You've got your cab model. You've got it's your It's not speaker. the same thing. So the speaker modeling that's in the, the power cab has sans microphone. So oh. it's literally just emulating the characteristics of the, the speaker. Gotcha. And for, to my ears, it's, it's an EQ. Okay. And uh, for me, I'm like, okay, it's great that it has six preset EQs in it, but I really just want to be able to get the amped up sound of what I'm already using in my helix. Cause mm-hmm. I have fancy IRs that I'm using. Why right. the hell would I want to? Why the hell would I want to green back on stage with my IRs well, for a C ninety? No, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's what I was saying. You're going to IR out anyway. Oh, by the way, uh, Jim has made his first four day, four way in the oh, IRs. Yeah. What do you oh. think of a Sir Pack from Celestian? Me? Yeah. What did, did you? What, oh, did you, yeah. You like it? It's great. I mean, so first thing I did, I called Dave. I go, "What do I do? I don't know what the pick. Yeah, and I'm laughing because so, I'm like, dude, you just drag it on there. Like, what the hell is your problem? So I, I went to uh, uh, Celestian has a an official IR. Yeah, they have they have two packs. They have the original and, ones, which are just emulations of their speakers, and then they have the Sir cabs, which they've come out. Well, with. okay, so well, you have several packs within the pack. Yeah, I just bought the Super Pack, which when is you, when you buy one, basically. So you bought the Super Pack, so you got all the cabinets that they produce for the Sir for, line. for half of right for half of the price. Yeah. Got- so what so what happens is you open this thing up, Jim. What do you see inside? Oh my God. You got like, a, I had like literally a thousand wave files and so that you could download them. Um, and, uh, I, I, I go to go inside and it's, um, it's not only the, the speaker and the, um, the cabinet, but for every single speaker, and every single cabinet, you can choose your, what is equivalent to your mic placement. Right. And they do that files. with a different wave file, right? Right. You can go with dark, you can go with white light. You can go with medium. So now, you can go with so now that you've gone through this experience, you know, you understand it. Cause you're clearly explaining it. Yes. Right. Yes. Now I, now I but, know what it is. Can you explain to our listeners the amount of panic you had when you, I didn't know what up? to do. So I looked at it. <laughs> he was, he was par- paralyzed. You've only, got, you've only got 128 spots in the helix where you could put 
Jim, Jim, is is this what we call option paralysis? Yes, and I was totally paralyzed. I could not do it. I couldn't. I couldn't just pick three. Dave goes, just put some in, and I go, no, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to put them. I don't well, know. That's what, what I'm laughing about because Jim's like, Jim's like, I have to pick the right ones, the best ones, and I'm sitting there going, Jim, you have to try them. You can't just be like, oh, this is going to be the one. Like, yep. Yep. You're you're so used to I can only get this one, this one thing. And then and I'll tweak really, it and make it work. You know, it's like, well, no, dude, that's how this works. So I'll put you, I'll put this into perspective for you folks. So I bought um what's the equivalent of every single Sir Cab with every I'm gonna single have to get that pack too, by the way. Celestian pack. Yeah. And so um I got a one by twelve, two by twelves, four by twelves that a whole gambit. Yeah, I and think they even do like a 410. They have like back. a 210 in there. Yeah. Yeah, 210, 410. And it, and it was greenbacks and goldbacks and, and yeah, um, greenbacks and you know, whatever, backs, whatever yeah. backs. It was a lot of backs. There were a lot of Those backs. Got back. They had quarterbacks and, and halfbacks and <laughs> fullbacks and I didn't even know what the hell. Throwbacks. Throwbacks. <laughs> yeah, there was pro balls and, and Duke won. <laughs> By one point, it was incredible. The, what, with two seconds left. But anyway, so um, I'm I'm looking at all this stuff, and then, like he said, then you open it up, and they go, "Do you want 500 milliseconds?" Oh yeah, yeah. So then you get three choices for each sample. But the funny part is, oh, then you get the certain megahertz. Of course, it doesn't really matter or kilohertz. I'm sorry, it doesn't really matter which one you pick because the line six kilohertz anyway. It will convert it when you put it on there, and so it'll make it right anyway. But so I'm sitting there like, oh. And so then I had to choose within that. Then I had to choose, okay, do you want um, do you want it with a close mic? Do you want it with a bar mic? Do you want yeah. it with a blend of the room? Do you want it with a phone? Oh, if you don't have a super, like, so I want to point this out. If you don't have a super knowledge of what those sounds are like to begin with, you probably shouldn't be dabbling in IRs because, honestly, like, you, you're talking about option paralysis. You can definitely load up, like, 150 or you can't load 150, but you can load up like a hundred yeah. speaker models and then just scroll through them and then like, not be like, I like this one more than this one, more than this one. And just be like, they're all really good. And I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know why right. you would choose this one over this one. Like, I don't understand. Cause they, cause they do sound good. Like every single thing, especially when they're professionally mic'd and professionally done like that, right. they're going to sound excellent. And right. a lot, in a lot of cases, they give you some that sound like, like complete garbage, like hot garbage. And you're like, I don't understand why this is even in here, but if you mix it with this other microphone and then it sounds great, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. Now I get it. Um, And in the, and in the, um, uh, as you know, in the uh, helix, you can do that. Yeah. You can can put, you can put a pair of uh, IRs in, in parallel or Jim, you can get, you can get a software item that will actually mix them and put them into one wave file. And load yeah. them into a single IR block, <gasps> which is that's you probably haven't experimented with that yet, but that's that's no. another way of approaching it. No, but I, but I will say here. So you, we've established you got like ten thousand wave files, right? How many do you actually use? Eight. Well, no, I actually use two. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually use See? two, and I have hundreds now, and I'm going to buy another pack. So. But- um, I'm 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 trying to pull up HX Edit while we're talking, so I can say the two that I really really dig, and I I actually so I got Ownhammer responses, so I have a different brand than Jim, um and they and 
they're I would say they're a little bit darker um and more like kind of heavy metal hard rockish. Um I love I have the rectifier, the own hammer 412 recto pack and I love the C90 mixed with a V60. Yep. And it's they have so they have presets. When you get own hammer like they give you like 12 or 13 tones that are like preset mixes that they put together yep. for you. And it, honestly you don't even have to go beyond those mixes. If you scroll around, you'll find one you really like and you just use that. But basically it's, it's mimicking kind of the, the Jimi Hendrix way of miking things where you've got like a, a ribbon mic and you've got maybe an off axis um, uh, 57 or something, or I, I like the uh, MD two, four, one or whatever the Sennheiser. Um, so I typically use that one. And that, and that is the cab that I use for probably 90% of my sounds. The other one that I really, really dig is um, I have the mul- the massively multi-miked Marshall cab that Ownhammer does. You literally buy one cab for like fifteen bucks, and dude, yeah. but, but dude, it, it sounds so good. I'm like, yeah, okay, I see why it's fifteen bucks now. Yeah. Um, so and there's more mic combinations than you can possibly imagine. That's what I was going to say. So each one of the the ones that now what we're talking about, we're not going with the with the free or two dollar. No, these are paid so, IRs. Right. They're not terribly expensive. I bet no. that was kind of a surprise to you, Jim, that they were like yeah. seven or eight bucks. Like, So I got everything for $35 and and I got, um, so just to give you an idea of the, the cabinets, I got a Bella 1x12, a Badger 1x12, a Hedgehog 2x12, a PT 2x12, which I guess that's Pete Thorne, Pete right? Pete Thorne, yeah. Um, a 4x12 closed and a 4 um, uh, with, and uh I got uh, Celestia V-Type, Celestia Vintage 30s, Celestia G12 65, Celestia D12 H75, Celestia G12M. Those are greenback. The um, it, 1275s are creamback. Right, and right. Celestian, and um, are the, those are per cab, right? Like, so you can yeah. So you can take like a Badger cab, and then you can have like ten different types of speakers in it. Right, and and so it's just an insane um, option of. It's, it's, it's incredibly like this. Yeah. When it comes to, and like he's like David said earlier, if I wanted, I could run a Sir 12 by or a four by 12 with greenbacks and then put vintage thirties in the other one. Yeah. And 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 have one mic close and one mic, you know, room or whatever. I'll be honest with you. The V, the V 60, so Celestian vintage 30. And the uh, C90, the Black Shadow, in the same cab, I want one for real. Because yeah. that sound is like the voice of God. <laughs> it's, I mean, honestly, it has all the, um, the throaty, like, grunt of a, of, a, um, of a greenback with, like, the smoother high end. But, but still just gritty enough to be, like, rock and roll. And uh, it's got a lot of low end. That's not like flabby or anything like that. It it would work really well with my Mark V, um, yeah. and so I'm I have plans to get a cabinet this year. I was going to get a one by twelve, but I think I'm going to go for a two by twelve because I want that combination in one cabinet. So uh, David, what David recommended to me, which was a great recommendation, by the way, was because what I was going to do was buy the cream back selection, which meant you've got cream backs in every yeah. combination of speakers, right? Um, where with the Sur one, I got, um, well, so let me, all the cabinets and all of these different speakers. And I could 
let me let me let me back off and and just explain why I why I did what I did. So I have the Celestia impulses. I have the regular ones, the ones you were looking at, like the cream backs. I have a couple of them. I have um, I think I have the one by twelve v thirties. I have the two by or the two by twelve v thirties. I have like open back, close back. I have um the cream backs. I think I have like green backs. So they're all British style speakers. I do have the Celestia A type because I do use it for like Lux reverbs and things like that um, in the Helix. But so here's the problem with those models. They're not based on real world cabinet dimensions. They're based on what Celestian says makes those speakers sound best. So in other words, they have these custom cabinets they built, stick those speakers in, and then they mic them up in a really expensive studio. But the problem is we guitar players are used to hearing things that sound like crap. And so when, you know, greenbacks are put in a Marshall cab, that's not the ideal dimensions for a greenback speaker. Like it's just not. And so because of that, I'm accustomed to hearing it in the wrong light. I got these speaker impulses and I find them to be very razor blady. And I think it's because what I'm used to hearing is totally different than what these speakers sound like in the proper operating conditions. Right. And and I think also that like, it's just the recording environment and their choice of microphones and the power amp they were using to actually push sound through them when they were doing the impulse responses. Cause that makes a, a big impact. So like if you bought own hammer, they tell you like we use a, I think it's own hammer. It says they use a clean, uh, they have a, they have a, like a basically a 5150 that they that they have gutted and made for like just basically putting out clean sound and have tweaked it to be a very flat neutral sounding amp and they use that to actually push the signal through for making the IR so that the the IR responses come out as best as they could possibly make them and I think that is a big part of why they're they're so accurate and I I would have a tough time with with a V30 from them in a in a Marshall or in a Mesa cab like telling the difference between that and the, and my actual Mesa cabinets on the floor next to me. Um, except for the, you know, of course mine's a mini recto, so it doesn't have the exaggerated base. Like that would be a dead giveaway. But if you scooped out everything below 200 and just made it, you know, very, very similar, I couldn't tell the difference. I, I honestly couldn't, they sound that good. Yeah. Um, provided I'm not in the room, you know, if they have headphones on or whatever, like they really do sound good. So, um, so I did. I did the math. There's 90 IRs per uh, per cabinet. Yeah, and that so you get a good deal for 37 bucks. Yeah. You get the entire Sir collection. Yeah, which is really cool. And yeah. I I wish more companies were doing this. So like Mesa did it, but it's proprietary to Torpedo. So oh. you'd have to have like a Torpedo one note or whatever or two notes live in order to use it. One of the one of the Torpedo really? systems. And I think that sucks. Like yeah. we're in a day and age where nothing should be proprietary like that anymore. Oh. So, you know, well, according to, well, of course I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know how the proprietary is, but I do know that according to, uh, the line six, if you get the wave file, they convert it. it yeah. And so the other thing is like, you can buy them direct from line six too. The line six has an IR store. I, if you're going to use the IR store from line six, don't please yeah. don't. Cause you're just locking yourself into using line six and the, and the prices are basically the same. It, yep. it just doesn't make sense. Um, and a lot of times like with Celestian, you get, you, you know, Jim, when you go into download them, you can select which device you're using and it'll optimize um, the right download for you. So, um, but yeah, so enough about IRs. It's really cool technology. I hope you get a lot more experience with it, Jim. I hope yep. our listeners are willing to play around with it. Um, I, I, this is the future of guitar because Honestly, as stages get more and more quiet, like these kinds of products are going to become more and more popular. And I mean, you're already seeing it. Sir is bringing out stuff. 
boss has got an IR modeler coming out in the, in the tube commander or whatever the, the tube amps are or whatever the hell they're calling that thing. And then, uh, of course, um, the, um, you've got like the, the ox and stuff like that that are now becoming popular. So, um, this technology is not going away and we're seeing in pedals now too. And torpedo is making smaller and more inexpensive devices that allow you to do this live becomes more commonplace. I could see it becoming just as prevalent as amplifiers. Yeah. Um, because we're just not get, we're not allowed to make the volume we once were, you know, it was different when you were a rock and roll band in a club and they didn't care because all they sold was beer anyway. (laughs) It's like, it was, it was funny because I saw an older uh, interview with Joe Satriani and he, he was talking about how one of his bandmates was like, man, they want us back. They love us here. They pay us good. We must be great. And Joe goes, we're not great. We just, we just have fans who like to drink a lot. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically what that means guys. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Or, or you, you know, or you inspire people to drink because you suck so bad that they feel depressed. That could be a thing too. I think that's part of the reason why minor music is so popular, especially on the bar scene is because if it makes you feel sad and depressed, you're more likely to drink. Well, that was a blues thing in the, in the the day was, that was a blues thing. Blues made you sad. It made you want to drink. I remember once um, uh, in the movie, The Jerk, Steve <laughs> Martin, they said, don't you like the blues? And he goes, the music just makes me so sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, he gets it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, let's, let's move on. We'll talk about alternate tunings. Cause I have some thoughts yes. on this and I think this is so, close on our show. Yeah. So um, I was asked a question of how to play a certain cover song in another group. So I went, I, I wrote this like six paragraph, 1000 page article uh, or 1000 word article on how to play a very simple song by REO Speedway. And I closed it with, um, I gave you more information than you ever want to know about playing a three chord song, but I figured I'd use it as a learning experience for them. and everybody has loved it. They, they're, you know, they're, they're like, why is this not in our group? Because well, it was a question asked in a different group. It was a guitar. Yeah, but you could post it in our group and be like, hey, I made this. You guys will be interested. I could, I could cut the post and paste yeah, it. Yeah, I think you should. So um, I think you guys would laugh at me. But anyway, I'm always afraid of getting laughed at. Well, no, that's, so, so the funny thing is, Jim, you're talking about a three chord song that you wrote a thousand words on. Like, that's really yeah, funny. That is funny. And, and I guess you guys, I could give you guys some fodder. So um, anyway, I, I, I wrote on it. And uh, this person said, you know, I watched the video of, of Ario doing that and i can't understand that is the most boring way of playing a song and what had happened was they had tuned to open d for the song because the song used a one four five d right and it makes it super easy to play you just let go basically you just yeah you just put your hand down in two different places you could theoretically play it with a capo if you were good enough with a capo you could. You could just could. Put the, move the capo around as you're playing, you know? That's right. And that's pretty much what he did. And he played it over the neck. Yeah. Over the neck like this because he was letting the two higher strings drum, which yeah. makes sense for the, for, the, for the song he was playing. Anyway. So, anyway, um, I told the guy, he goes, Well, kind of boring for a guitar player. I said, Well, and, and I would never do that. And I wrote, Well, it's kind of a thing. Open D is kind of a thing, especially for slide and, and things like that so here's the here's the thing that i'm going to get into i can understand open open tuning i i actually get it especially when i'm covering um 
songs from from the Rolling Stones. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, uh, what they, I they use Open G right with no low E string. Yeah, Open G no low E, Open A with no low E. Right, because you know, because uh, Keith Richards doesn't need six strings; he only needs five. That's right, he only needs five on like, a telly. Yeah, no, like, but let's be honest, like. That guy made a career out of only playing five strings. Who am I to argue with my seven strings right. in the corner? Absolutely. And uh, you know, and and let's let's put it to you this way: he does it with bravado, baby. He does it with uh, bravado. He does it with something. I don't know if it's bravado yeah, or cocaine, that, but that and heroin. Yeah, um, cocaine and heroin. Yeah, that that was a whole and thing. Coconuts. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, he's. <laughs> I've got to get transfused. Whoa. The, the, the mirrors in his house don't show anything. There are no mirrors in his house. Are you kidding me? He can't have garlic, and people. <laughs> he doesn't come out of daylight. There's all kinds of things. So anyway, um, you know, it, I, I, I get it. And I get it for slide players. I really do. I understand it for slide players. Because it does make for adding and accentuating slide a little easier. But... Um, it's a lot of times people will say, yeah, a lot of times people will say, like, I'm in a rut. What should I do? And one of the things that change your tuning. No. Wrong. How the hell is that going to get me out Incorrect. of Incorrect. 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 No. Does not compute. Violation. Error. Yeah. Fault. Error code. <laughs> 010434FE3. That is a, that is a non sequitur. That was a, uh, by the way, that was an expletive for sure. <laughs> um. Absolutely. I want to make this really clear right now. Here's my feelings on open tunings, right? If you're playing slide, fine. There are a lot of licks that can only be done in an open tuning on slide, and that like totally makes sense. You you get comfortable with it, and that's the way you're gonna do it. Yep. I'm not gonna tell Dwayne Allman, you know, that he shouldn't be playing an open G. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whether he's using a slide or not, because let's be honest, like that guy's whole style is based on the idea of using an open tuning to do, you know, his typical slide licks. And yeah, this, there's, there's a lot of tradition behind that. It goes yeah. back to the early blues guys, you know, before there were recordings, doing that stuff right. in the slave quarters um, and not really having the musical knowledge to know right. that you could do the same stuff in standard tuning. Um, and so that's fine. Like, I get it. That's the one instance where I'm like, Eek. Open tune, fine, go for it. I've played songs without a slide in open tuning on right. and, and and done like lead parts that way. And it's it's fine. Like actually, I think it does open up some doors in terms of like your licks, but here's the problem, right? You can't do it all the time. And unless you're gonna have separate guitars set up for slide for not for slide, but for open tunings, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. And and so the, the rule of thumb, right? Uh, we're practical guitarists. We gig. What? What? What's the rule of thumb? Two guitars. Two guitars. Yeah. One is a primary. One is a backup. Right. Not not four guitars. Not six guitars. And I've been in those days. I've been. Oh there. yeah. I've been there where I brought a boat. Now think about it for a minute. I went to a I went to a show that paid me maybe a hundred and a half. Yeah, dude. And you brought like six guitars, right? And I brought. I had a, my other guitar player, I thought I had a lot of guitars. I brought probably four and a half. It's like, it's like if you're a bar band and you show up with a roadie to like, you know, like what the hell? He had like $22,000 worth of guitars. He had, he had a, um, he had one guitar for only two songs. Yeah. 
you know, he had another one that was set up another tuning, another one set up another tuning, another one set up another tuning. And Which is totally course, ridiculous. Most to play your instrument. You don't need five tunings. That's just it, though. Most of the night, what did he play? One guitar. Yeah, yeah. He's got like 11 for the other three songs you guys do. Yeah, and, he had and a strap. He, he, plays, the, the he plays the rhythm part on this one guitar, and then when they go to the chorus, he grabs the other one. And then when they go to the solo, he grabs this third one, and then he finishes out with the original guitar. It's and like he smashes see, them all at the end. When you see even the pros, you see a, a guy like I don't care if you're talking about Bonamassa or you're talking about Brian May. Um, you'll see him pick up a guitar that he will play the same guitar all night unless he breaks the string or he's got yeah. to do a different tuning. A lot Brian of guys, May, a lot of guys it, are that way. Yeah, he does crazy little thing called love in uh, drop key. And yeah, so I've, seen, I've seen him do it with the red special, man. Yep. And so I, that's another thing I want to point out. So like drop tunings are one thing, right? And I think it really, you really don't need a second guitar for drop tuning because really most of us aren't playing a Floyd, right? That's yeah. where you can't drop tune really. And, it, and if you are, if you have a floating bridge, it can be kind of an issue. Uh, but for the most part, like, if you're so like let's play play a fixed bridge or you're playing a bridge that is decked. If you if you got a decked trem, then you can get away with it, no problem. And I know a lot of guys that do that. Like their second guitar is decked just because they use that for they have to do drop. So they got two guitars on the stage, and and I literally you can drop tune during a song, and I've done it. So like especially during a jam or something, you just go and like you hit the low note and you just tune it down. And when you hear D, you're like, all right, good to go. You yep. hit both at the same time and you hope they're in tune. And if they're not, you make a tweak and you're ready to go. Um, so, but that's my point is that, that uh, it's not drop tunings are not the same thing as like having a guitar that's completely in a different tuning. Dad, gad, you could probably do the same thing with that. But I think, I think once you're changing two of the strings in a set, like that's going to be a problem. Uh-huh. I saw I saw a guitar today on um, who's guy that the Earthquaker device Stephen Albini. Yeah, I think it is. Um, he had a a sixteen string guitar made with oh. sixteen E strings, <laughs> and they're all they tuned play to high guitar? E. That's it. They're all tuned to high E. Are they playing synth guitar? I don't know. I don't know because, what it was because that would be perfect for tracking like MIDI with because the, the midi tracks better with with thinner strings it was some kind of punk thing they was doing but anyway like the hex pickups i mean yeah yeah anyway that was it was a kind of weird thing but the, but um what i'm getting at is i just don't understand how i understand gad gad because you're you're trying to do notes and chord shapes that it's, don't fall under the, dad gad is really about emulating a sitar okay yeah. And it's about the drone, right? Yeah. Um, every song I've ever seen with Dad Gad is about getting both of those D strings ringing. Right. Um, and I and I feel like yeah, that's a thing. Like that's that's something that people would do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't understand. I don't understand people who want to like do these crazy like E sharp seven tunings. Or I've yeah. seen stuff like that. Or I've seen people that do um, uh, Robert Fripp's new standard tuning. I'm a big big Robert Fripp fan, but I'm just shaking my head and I'm like, you don't need it. You were playing it, it songs that were just as whacked out and crazy and technique driven before you came up with new standard tuning. Like yeah. there's no need for it. And and honestly, like I'm not saying that I'm going to argue a side of tradition on this because like I look, some guy is going to come up with a tuning at some point that's probably going to replace E standard. But 
in all in all honesty, East Standard is fine. You can do a lot of stuff with East Standard. If you're talking about breaking out of a rut, if like <clears throat> your thing is like I, I need I need to get out of a creative rut, put some limitations on yourself. It's far easier. Right. Just say you know what, I'm going to put a capo on my guitar at the third fret, and then I'm going to force myself to play you know between the tenth and the twelfth, and yeah. I'm going to use and I would always say something like. I'm going to use a new chord, like something I don't normally use. And there you go. Like just work on it because, or, and, or try a different mode. Like if you're, if you're always writing in Ionian or if you're always writing in, um, Lydian or you're always writing in alien, try Mixolydian, try Locrian. Oh God, try Locrian Locrian, because you'll you'll lose your mind (laughs) (laughs) or, or, or try the, um, try the diminished scale. Dude, some of the best metal licks I've ever I've ever heard people do. Like, Here, look at me. I'm going to do something to diminish, and it's something that I think you can remedy that problem without doing that. The other thing is like people. So I, I I'm I'm stuck in a creative rut. Work on technique, right? Because because nothing sucks worse than knowing that you're stuck in this rut and you're like, how do I get out of it? Well, chances <clears throat> are your your technique hasn't caught up with your head yet, right. and so go for it. Like work on, work on your, uh, your dynamics and stuff. And there's always a ceiling. We always think that there's a ceiling that we are going to hit. There's no ceiling. That's the first thing you need to understand about being a musician in general. There's always someone out there that's raising that ceiling. Be that guy, be that gal, like go that direction. Don't sit there and act like I have to change the tuning because, because my ideas are all based around the fact that, you know, I play in a certain way. It is a valid thing. Like if you do want to do that and you feel like that's the fastest way for you to get a new option, I'm not going to tell you not to do it, but I'm going to say like, there are other ways to achieve that same thing. And I right. think you'll get more benefit because a lot of the patterns and shapes that you, you develop for this alternate tuning don't apply in standard tuning. So what ends up happening is you write this song. It's got all this crazy technique stuff going on. When you go back to actually playing standard tuning, you're like, I don't feel like I've improved at all. And right. nobody wants to feel like that. Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't know how that would improve your your um, playing in the standard uh, context. Now, um, what I used to do for myself, like especially when I, so I wasn't, I was mostly a chord guy, right? I was a singer-songwriter for years and years and years, probably 30 years. All I did was singer-songwriter stuff. I played a few riffs, but most of my stuff were chords. I knew I knew my caged. And I knew how to play up all my chords up and down the neck. If you said, Jim, I need you to ma- play at E7, 9, add 24, I could do it. But that didn't mean that I could play like I, I wasn't a single note person. So anyway, um, I'm going somewhere. So I played bass for a long time. I played bass for like six years. And in that six years, I learned more about playing guitar than I had all my years of playing guitar. Yeah, because even though – approach. Even though I had memorized, which which I did have it on most people who go to bass, all my notes were memorized. I knew what I knew what all the notes were. Um, but suddenly, I said, somebody said, "You should get a five string." I said, "No, nah, five string. That's stupid. That's for lazy bass players." Then I got one. I said, "Damn, that's that's really good. That's really useful." I have gotten a lot of blowback from people on my seven string for exactly the same reason. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. You don't need a seven string. Yeah, but it opens up so many doors for arrangements because I have an extra note that I can add for for harmony and stuff. Like, you don't get it. 
The other thing right. is you don't have to move all over the damn guitar to play these chords yes. now. Right. So what I what I um uh what I had challenged myself to do was to play both horizontally yeah. and vertically. So in other words, I could go up and down scales on the neck. Um in whether both I, directions. Right. Whether I went towards my body or away from my body or Jim's making up and down in the air, making these movements, but you guys can't see them. So that that kind of thing. And then I said, okay, I'm going to challenge myself to then play the exact same riffs both ways in the same song and see how that works. And then of course, with dynamics, I would say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to play all the notes. Then I'm going to learn how to take notes out because for the dynamics, I need to be able to not play all the notes right in the beginning. Otherwise I have nowhere to go. I'm already, we've talked about this before. You're already at hundred miles an hour. You can't, it's hard to dial it back in right well you so, can you can do that you can have a song that starts off soft or starts off like hard and then right. goes soft and then soft and a bridge and, and but the main thing is you got to vary it so you have to have you have to know how to do both right um and i think you're i think you're you're hitting on something that's really important here and that is that you, the way you achieved creativity is by working within structures right like right. so you know that you have to play this part so you develop ways to play this part. And right. I think guitar players and, and musicians and artists, and I'm not just talking about uh, audio artists like like all of us, um, but artists in general tend to like be very free people. And right. we want to say, okay, so I'm going to write this thing and it's going to do this, you know, and it's this big lofty concept that's very abstract. But really what we should be doing is saying, no, no, I'm going to do this very specific thing and I'm going right. to do it in a very specific way. And that's going to actually give you the skill ability. And, and, and that's a big part of it is that um, we're not, we're not visual artists in the sense that we don't have uh we don't have pa- like various paintbrushes and all these little ways to do things with these various paintbrushes, but we have the same things available. Right. So we have effects pedals and we have techniques and we have, you know, so, it's it's about crafting a statement in your mind about how you're going to achieve something before you do it. And I think we tend to like get lost in the fact that we have so many different ways to do the same thing that we don't stop and think like how the way indicates what we're trying to achieve. So if I'm going to make a song about war, right? Um, I have, I have a lot of options. It's going to be big. It's going to be loud, right? Cause, cause war is usually often big and loud yep. and it's going to be very staccato. And it'll be violent, right. Right, so I'm already thinking, like, I'm going to need a distortion pedal, or I'm going to need something to give me a lot of violent distortion. I'm going to need, I'm going to need to be using a lot of palm muting, and I'm going to, you know, you just think about the, you see where I'm going with this? Like, you think about the structural aspects of it, and that's how you're going to pick these pieces of things to do. And and I think anybody who's lost in that creative mindscape and is asking that question of, like, should I just do an alternate tuning to, like, dig myself out of this rut? Stop and think to yourself, why am I looking at music for inspiration on how to make music? Because that's the opposite of what you should be doing. And we've talked to people. We talked to Mrs. Smith on the show, and she was very adamant and very clear that, like, no, I'm getting ideas about music from every other context in my life. And that I don't necessarily need to have a guitar to come up with a concept of some of a song I'm going to make. That helps. Obviously, she made the Miku song, the uh, Garden of Miku or whatever. Um, yep. so there is inspiration there, 
and you can do that. And there's probably a lot of people in this business that have done that very successfully, especially in the pop world, because they know their instrument well enough that they can just make up a song on the spot and it'll sell a million, you know, million copies. But the rest of us, like, if you want to make a statement about something, find that something you want to make a statement about. Don't try to make a statement and then turn it into something. Try to make the statement about something and it'll be a lot easier. I, I guarantee you, you shouldn't be in a rut. Like that's, <clears throat> that's the main thing. Ruts are easy to overcome. You just have to approach it from a different angle. Um, and I know people like talk about writer's block and stuff like that. I'm a writer too. And, and, and I've had those moments. But you know how I get out of it? I stop working on what I'm trying to do and I start working on something else. And you just, the main thing is just don't give up, like find another way to get through. So find or find another project to work on temporarily. Cause you'll find often, like if you're working on a work of fiction and then you go write something nonfiction, you'll find often that like you find the solution to the problem you had and then you go back and you fix it. And it's not hard. You just got to, you know, put yourself in a different mind space. And that, that's a tough thing to do. Um, especially if you're not, if you're not familiar with the techniques from where you can do that, like go for a drive, yell at somebody, uh, do right. something out of the ordinary and then use that as an inspiration. Right. So, yeah, I, those are my two cents. I hope that I hope somebody gets something from me saying these things. I, I, I know I came out railing hard against uh, alternate tuning. It's just my gut reaction to alternate tuning in general. It's like, why would I want to learn something that's going to require me to relearn what I do physically? Um, and I, I would suggest you think about it from that perspective too and realize there are different ways to approach the same problem. Jim, uh, since we're talking about alternate tunings, I have to talk about a particular guitar player that I have become, uh, I won't, don't want to say I'm a huge fan of his right now, but I right. will say that I'm like more interested in his music now because I've seen some things and I'm like more interested in how he's doing things. Are you familiar with Devin Townsend? I am. Okay. Devin Townsend, when he plays live, uses basically this tuning that just allows him to like fret chords with one finger so that he could do all the crazy stuff so he can focus on his vocals but the dude can play like that's that's what's funny is the dude can play but he's choosing not to and and he's making very smart decisions about look i got this other guitar player i hire who could do all the crazy stuff i do in the studio and he can nail it every single night and i can focus on what the audience wants to see which is me delivering the song and I think there's a lot to be learned there um, because if you've heard the guy play, like I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. The dude can play like, and it's, it's really kind of upsetting to hear that he doesn't really want to do it live. Um, yeah. but, but at the same time, like I get it, he's more about delivering the music and the, what's important to him is the vocal. Right. So I don't know. It, it, that's fuel for your fire here. He obviously uses alternate tunings. And the dude is super creative and knows his stuff. So I would not bat an eye at like saying, yes, alternate tunings are definitely something you should explore. I just don't think they're for me because I don't want to have to relearn everything I do twice. Right. Right. I can understand it if you are a musician. Like, okay, for example, the guy from the Goo Goo Dolls, he, um, he has several tunings that he uses. But what he does is he, he writes the, the tuning. First, he writes the song. This is what's funny. Yeah. the guitar the way he wants to write the song. Then he writes the song. When he gets done, of course, most of his stuff is chordal. And when he gets done, um, then he puts a tuner on and finds out what the tuning was, writes the tuning on a piece of masking tape, 
song name on a piece of mask and yeah. sticks that to the to the um he's pretty well known for having a different guitar for every song. Yeah. And so given that, if you have that, that's great. But for the most part, that's why we're trying to be practical, is that we don't really have that as an option, most of us. And trying to find something like that would be, what's the word I want? Uh, Impractical (laughs) is is the best word I can come up with. That is the one thing that I would say, you know what, it would not make any sense to me to have to bring 14. It never made sense to me to have to bring four guitars. But you know what? I brought a Strat, a Les Paul, a PRS, um, and they were all tuned standard, by the way. All three of them were always tuned standard. And right. then I would bring a, um, a drop D because I was convinced by everybody that I should bring a drop D guitar. And I would bring one that was two and a half step down. I have. So that's, that's another thing. Unless you're ever. Go- so I've seen a lot of songs that are quote unquote in drop D where they never play the open D or they never I, play the E flat. Which yeah. is like, all right, fine. Then I'm not using drop D because I don't fucking need it. I, I'm in a I, the van I'm in right now. The other guy is playing the parts, and I'm like, I don't need drop D. Yeah, you're like, you're like, you use it, but that doesn't mean I do. That's I the one that gets me. So I work with a guy. Um, he writes a lot of tunes. He he he's exploratory. He he'll write things in alternate tuning sometimes. Usually it's just like a flat tuning or dad gad or something like that. But mm-hmm. um. He'll be, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll tell me, he's like, well, it's in this tuning. And I'm like, okay, what are you telling me for? Like, I'm yeah. writing my part. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't care what tuning you're in. Like, you could and be Z to Z tuning. I don't know. That's right. Not all the guitars have to tune the same tuning. Right. And that's what I'm like getting at is like, okay, so you can pretend like this is so super important, but it's really not. Yeah. Um, I, I, I find myself like actually freed up by the fact that I can play there are a couple of songs where I've played on the fact that like he's playing this thing that I can't do in standard tuning. However, I can do this other voicing that sounds even better because it's layered. And oh. it, the, the song is built around that in a lot of cases. So for me, I think that I think that the bigger challenge is like, how do I fit into this environment where this other guy's in a drop tuning? Now I know other bands where it's like, okay, this song is in G. We're using open G. You're going to tune to open G. And the guy's like, okay, yeah, we'll tune to open G. And so we, we could double the parts and whatever. It's like, well, why do you have two guitars in the band? If you're just going to double and, them? Exactly. And I can understand it. Like if you're playing acoustic and you need a big jangly chord, but it's yeah. a, a acoustic guitar I, is a whole separate thing. And like, I kind of wish we'd, we'd call this the, uh, the practical electrical guitars because we really don't talk about really acoustic talk a whole about, lot, yeah. but acoustic, I think open tunings are fair game. Like go oh, for yeah. it. Because I think, the acoustic instrument is just so much different because it, it, it relies so much on the resonance of the instrument that I think it's a lot more acceptable to like sit there and say, okay, somebody use dad gad for this. I yeah. love playing like sitar type stuff on acoustic guitar with like all the open strings and all that. Um, and so if you need those open strings to be tuned to a certain chord or something, like it totally makes sense. Yeah. But I just don't think the same rules apply to a gigging guitar player playing, you know, playing in standard tuning. Right. And honestly, I, I even guitar songs that are in like, you know, like open D, open G and open D, like just got paid from CD Top. I was originally done open G, right? Yep. I don't play that, and I play it in standard. Everybody plays yeah. it in standard because it's a song that didn't really need open G to begin with, right? And it was just done that way because he was playing slide for the solos, 
right. And, and he probably used a guitar that he had been playing slide on before. And right. It was just what was there. And like, they, they had the song worked out. And so that's what, what happened. But that doesn't mean that like every bar band in the United States should go, okay, so we're going to play the song tonight. So I got to bring a guitar and open G. Yeah. What? Um, I could you imagine yeah. if as, as much as that song gets played, because that song gets played a lot. Could you imagine people actually like bringing out an open G guitar for that song? I, the guitar player I was talking about earlier tonight, he would bring a guitar and open G for the song um, Pink Houses by, by um, uh, somebody no. was a little bit too obsessed with being accurate. Yeah, I was like, wow, I, I commend him. I, I love Yeah, dude, like I your accuracy is, is parallel to none and no one cares. <laughs> Holy shit. Nobody in that audience gave a shit <laughs> when he was an open G. No one we cared. Were, we were admittedly the band with the most uh, the most creative and and um uh incredible incredibly accurate um covers that nobody nobody cared about. That's my point though, Jim. Like we've talked about this on the show before. Sometimes accuracy takes a back seat to doing the right thing. And just because the song is recorded that way, Carlos Alomar is a perfect example, right? So Carlos Alomar is the guitar player. He, he worked, he's worked with such people as like Paul McCartney, uh, David Bowie, most of the time he was, he worked with James Brown um, and, and various other people as like a tour, both a touring and studio musician. Um, And there have been a lot of people like he's working with, uh, I know he's done some stuff for um, uh, Bruno Mars, right? Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. No relevant today. Like take, 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 for example, this guy, he worked with James Brown in like the sixties and yeah. is still producing popular music that sells. Yeah. Wasn't he millions of out of heaven? Yeah. 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 So, but the thing is like, he says that people have come up to him before and been like, dude, I cannot figure out how you came up with this guitar part. And he laughs because they always do this crazy stuff, right. Where they're just like, like these crazy workarounds to, to do the part on, on regular guitar. And he just laughs and he goes, all you had to do is tune your E string flat. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you know, it's like, he's like, I, I, oftentimes, and, and he claims it's a big secret of his success. He's like, I can just be flexible with what, you know, if I know this part's going to be really hard and I really got to get that one note, like, then I'll just down tune and, and, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll get that one string where I need it and I won't play it for the rest of the song and it'll work. And oh, uh, yeah, Tim Pierce was talking about that in a song that he had recorded back in the 80s. Um, and it was for Michael Jackson. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about how he had to detune his G string just a little to make it in tune. He goes, remember, the, t- the guitar is yeah. a tempered instrument, blah, blah, blah. So it was in tune here, it was out of tune everywhere else. Oh, yeah. So you had to learn how to bend it a certain way. And so it gave it that certain character. Yeah. Well, that's, and that's, but that's different than, that's different than saying like straight up, like, I need to be able to reach this note that's like a super, super ridiculous stretch. And I need to be able to do it every other note for like 10 notes. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to turn this flat for a second. So yep. it's like, it's like, instead of an E, it's an E flat or instead of a B, it's a, you know, it's a B flat. Yep. And that's how I'm going to do it. And, and he played the whole song that way. And he writes that the would, arrangement that way. That would be like having a, a reverse, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, B bender. Yeah, it's basically. I mean. yeah basically that's that's you know and he's he was saying like that's been the secret to a lot of songs that i've played on that people like for years have tried to figure out how i did that part right he's like they come up with the crazy workarounds but they don't get it it's the same thing as um who's the dude that 
that did all the rhythm work. Uh, he was on Get uh, Get Lucky or whatever. That. Oh, um, oh shit, Sheik. He was in Sheik. Yeah, he yeah. Was- they, they, right, him. Um, I forget his name. He's oh, come on, dude. I'm so uh, like I feel so stupid. Neil, like, Neil, 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 um, Neil, Neil, not Neil's law friend. Neil, uh, Neil, Neil, ah, Neil, Neil's. Oh come on, Jim. Nile. Nile Rogers. I knew I had it. Nile Rogers. Okay. We didn't Google that. There's not a hard cut there. It just came to me out of the clear blue. Uh, Nile Rogers, right? So he has the same problem. He says, guitars come up to him all the time. And they're like, dude, I love it when you do this. And then they play it. And he goes, dude, I'm only doing that on two strings. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like, what do you think I'm doing here? Because he's the guy that does all the chucka chucka, like, treble string stuff, right? Yep. And um, he says ninety five percent of the stuff that he's done is on two strings, and yep, he's like, yeah, the but he plays it on three or four. Yeah, and it's a, he's like, the they just don't get it. I'm only hitting two notes. Like, yeah. they may not be adjacent notes, and I may have raking going on in between, but yep. like, it's just two notes. And um, he's made a career out of the fact that like people can't hear it properly. Well, that's because what they're hearing, they're hearing that chicka chicka. Yeah, of the, of the deadened strings, right? Got such a powerful. Um, Some of his stuff is not even the chicka chicka man, and people are still doing it on three strings because you can yeah. hear, like, if you listen real close, you can hear it super tight together, and it's yep. it's it's almost like a tone cluster. I mean, the, the notes are in the same octave and everything, and you're like, "Well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> like yeah, what's going song, on here?" Because it sounds a lot bigger than it is. Like the song "Good Times," yeah, that's that's one of those ones which was um, later um, sa- sampled and turned into um, uh, "Rappers Delight." That song, um, which is which is him as well, uh, which is Rogers as well. He um, he shows how to play that. He talks about how he he's most of it's a rake, yeah, a couple of notes that are ringing out. But because of the way that it rakes and the way he, I don't think he even appreciates the fact that he makes no, notes no, and he said and he said that too. He's like. Well, you know, I only play two notes on this song, but there's a bunch of notes in between. Like it's yeah. like, yeah, I forgot that I'm still I'm still hitting all the strings. Like I'm just only playing two notes, which okay, that I that I totally understand. Um I think with, with him, the other thing is like his tone is the reason people hire him. That's and right. and honestly, he the way that he gets those sounds out of that stratocaster he has, there's something special about I think he has uh, a bridge on somewhere on that guitar and it may be permanently engaged because I think that's actually how he gets the sound is the neck and the bridge pick up together. Yeah. Cause it sounds awful Telecaster like, and um, it might just be the pickups, but I, I, I think he's doing something like, yeah. like Jimmy page, like, you know, here it says phase reversal switch under here that I'm not going to tell him. Yeah. But he'll insist. Oh no, I'm not doing anything special. No, no, that's but his secret sauce is his secret sauce. Well, a lot of, a lot of his stuff I've heard is direct board. Yeah. He doesn't even like, he's not even nope. doing it. He isn't even using amp sometimes. Nope. And uh, it's just straight compression, which would, yep. which would fatten up your sound, especially some of these like really fancy uh, German tube compressors and stuff. Yeah. I've heard that stuff sound better than an amp before. So yeah, <laughs> totally, totally makes sense. Um, so you were talking about when somebody uses an open tuning and then doesn't bother doing stuff with it. So the song um, uh, that always hits me is Seven Nation Army. People oh, are always, oh, yeah, I got to be an open A tuning for that. I would never play that. Never. 
that first of all, okay, first of all, the song does kind of suck. That's side. It's not that the song sucks. It, if I wanted to stand on stage and do nothing, that would be a great song. Yeah, to play. It's actually a fun solo to play. Nope. Over. You can disagree. It is. it is. Anyway, so we'll have to play it together when we're in. Uh, nope. for- not going to oh. happen. I was- you can play it at me. I will look at you and I will give you the finger the entire time. I, I can't wait for it to see you join in on that song. Okay. This is a, this is a shout out to Nick and to uh, his brother, Tom. We're going to get, we're going to get Dave. I will sit there and I will, do, I will literally do nothing. We will, we will, we will move his fingers for him if we have to. Oh yeah, is that what you're gonna do? Yeah, forget. I already said I'm gonna be the one here who's armed. All right, folks. How many, <laughs> how many people are gonna say are gonna chime into the group and say yes? David is gonna play Seven Nation. I Army. probably will play Seven Nation Army, and I, I, I'm ashamed to admit that I actually know how to play it. Yeah, but I have never actually played it. It's 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 terrible because you don't actually have to know how to. Yeah, play that's it. what I'm saying, dude. Like. If you can watch somebody do it and be like, yeah, I remember that. No big deal. I don't have to play yeah, it. it. Is, I'll, I'll get it, it later. It is the major scale. Jack White. So, <laughs> all right. Can we, can, we, can, we take, can we have a moment to talk uh, about Jack White before the end of the episode? Yeah, Jack so, White. Over, Jack, overrated guitar player. Overrated special. Um, Jack White. So I had a forum conversation with somebody on, I think it was Harmony Central, years and years ago, talking about, you know, who your favorite guitar players were and like, at the time, I was really into Stevie Ray, and oh. I, I was I I knew even instinctively at that time I was like I'm not gonna play Stevie Ray tunes. Like I know people have there are people that have made a career out of like the two tube screamer thing and like try to do that. Not me, right? I, it's not that I, I I don't think I could do it. It's just that like why would I try to emulate somebody else like that? Anyway, Wait, quick quick guitar player joke. How many guitar players does it take to play a Stevie Ray Vaughan song? One apparently or it takes like ten. It takes yeah. apparently all of them. <laughs> it takes ten. One to do it well, and the rest to sit there and watch. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. One to actually be Stevie Ray. Anyway. Um. So here, here, here's where here's where the uh, the connection to Jack White comes into this this thing. So I remember this very very cleanly because I was like, I literally sat there for a minute and I and I scratched my head and I said, Wait, what? And this guy was arguing like Stevie Ray sucks because Jack White can do everything that Stevie Ray did and he does it 10 times better. And I'm like, they're not even the same thing in any way. No way whatsoever. Now, at at the time, he was still in the White Stripes, okay? So the White Stripes was still, it still existed. So he hadn't even like branched off and like, oh yeah, look at me, I can actually play this airline, you know? which now he's playing EVH guitars, right? Yeah. So all those years, I want to fight it. He gets the one guitar that he doesn't have to fight, and now he's like, gonna, this, is the, this is the best guitar I've ever played in my life. I'm going to find the guitar shit. world. I'm going to find the guitar world where he, he interviewed and said that he couldn't play a guitar that would cost more than $500. Yeah, dude. Oh. Like, this is, it's just, it's gotten insane. So anyway, Jack White, he gets, this guy says, um, he says, you know, he's better than Stevie Ray. And I just sat there and I scratched my head and I was like, you know, I was like, this is the the moment where I realized you shouldn't talk about other guitar players that you enjoy with other guitar players, because they always have these opinions that are just absolutely insane. (laughs) There there is even today, there is no way you're ever going to tell me that Jack White is better than, than the living legend that was Stevie Ray Vaughan. There is a reason that people 
put up a statue of that man after his death. Okay. Like I, when Jack White dies, I don't know if they're going to put up a statue. There'll be some people who talk about him and remember his music, which is great. He's, I'm not saying he's not a talented musician in any way, or like a creative person, but he is not Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's just not like there, there's no way that that guy could do those things. I'm going to, I'm going to say a name that will piss you off, but I still think he's better than Jack White. And that is, uh, um, what's his face? No, body is wonderland guy. Oh, John John Mayer. No, John Mayer is better than Jack White. Uh, without a doubt, John Mayer is actually a very talented guitar player. Um, and, 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 you know, you guys have heard me talk about him on the show and I, I poo poo him, but you know what I, you know, pisses me off about John Mayer is he doesn't do anything new. He's not pushing the guitar in a new direction. Instead, what he does is he says, I'm going to start, he has three approaches to guitar. I'm going to write a song that makes women throw their underwear on stage at me. I'm going to write a song that is going to say, sell a million pop records, or I'm going to write a song that sounds just like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Those are his three options, right? And because of that, who is the who is the contemporary that came before him that was just like that? Eric Clapton. Yeah. You do the same thing. Maybe not the, the panties on stage, but Eric Clapton was doing basically the same thing, right? He would he had he had three modes. He could emulate the blues guys that come before him. He could write hard rock music, which at that time was pretty was pretty racy. Or he could, or he could write, you know, these soulful pop tunes. Yeah. I mean, you don't get any more like obvious that who John Mayer is really, who really, who he really is today, who he represents right. is like he's the '90s and 2000s version. He's not the 2000s version of yeah. Eric Clapton. And so, as boring as Eric Clapton got after Cream, like it's exactly where John Mayer is in my mind. And I really wish so. Like, there's another guitar player that comes to mind that that I, I would put in the same categories. Like, somebody who's got tremendous talent and could do so much, but is just wasting it, and is just not. It doesn't care to like expand the boundaries of of the instrument. And that's Ingvay Malmsteen. And wow. and and I and I'm gonna get to I'm gonna get to why, and and why I put them in the same category because like Ingvay is obviously totally different, like completely out of left field thing for me to say that because you guys all know I'm an Ingvay fan, like. I've gone yeah. to see him and and I've learned to play some of his music and stuff. Um, here's the thing. Ingve's idol was Richie Blackmore, right? Yeah. And though Ingve has figured out how to do all the classical stuff that that Richie used to do, he doesn't have any of the soul. And not not like Richie, right? Like I he can do the the bluesy stuff and he does a fair fair job on these cover records he's put out, which are really, really good. Yeah. But ultimately he's never going to be able to do what deep purple was doing. And so as much as I like him, the record that I like the most is the one where he came closest to doing that. Um, and that's the one where he had uh Jolyn Turner as his vocalist. Right. right. Yep. That, that record makes sense to me. Um, but I feel like there's so much there that he, he could have, if, if he could go back in time and say, you know what? This neoclassical thing I can do is great, and that people are really going to idolize me. But I got to stop making the same record over and over and over, and and partner up with somebody, or hire somebody as a vocalist, and and as a you know as a band, and go. I'm going to make. I'm going to out deep purple, deep purple. I think we would have gotten something better than Perfect Strangers because I I still believe Perfect Strangers is the best deep purple record there is. 
I I know I've gone back and forth, like said, like I really like In Rock and stuff, but Perfect Strangers, man, when they got back together, it it just hit it. Like they had all the pieces. The vocals on that record are outstanding. The um the songs are so well written. They're kind of racy, but that's you know that's the period, and um I really feel like Ingve hit it right at that time, and he could have made a better record because he had he is more talented than Richie Blackmore is. He is. But the problem is they have such a different approach to how they're going to do the same problem. And, and English thing is like, I'm just going to overplay. And Richie's thing is like, I'm going to find the thing that fits the song best and try to overplay within that. That's, that's where I'm like, oh, God, like it's just so much talent there, but just so much waste. Um, you would, you would hate my favorite rainbow song. Which one is it? Stone cold. Uh, I'm trying to think how it goes. Stone no, I don't, Cold. I don't hate it. I thought I knew you so well. No, I don't hate Golden it. Turner. No, I don't hate it. My favorite. I, I like Rainbow. Um, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of both those guys. By the way, I, I really like Richie Blackmore, and I really like Ingve. Okay. Um, but I just I feel like um, uh, the 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 I don't say facsimile, but the next generation did not equal up to the original in any way. Um. <laughs> well, the problem, the problem, as you as you explained, um, and I want to let you finish because you didn't really finish with uh, Jack White. But I think the problem is when you take when you take what you learn. This is the thing I always have with people who learn stuff by by the record, quote unquote, or by exact note yeah, for note. Because Ingve can it, can note for note any of the Deep Purple stuff, any of you it. Can do <laughs> that, and 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 to be able to do that, there's there's a high amount of praise I give to anybody that can do that. But can you then do your own thing? Can you make it sound like you? Or are you so enamored with nailing the exact thing that came out before you, all you're really doing is holding up the mirror? Um, there, was a, there was a cover today. Um, somebody shared um, the Ace Fraley had done of Fox on the Run, which is one of my favorite sweet songs. I don't know if you've ever been um, remembered the sweet, but they were kind of a punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't know there. Yeah. And and they had a song called Fox on the Run. And so when when uh, Ace Fraley covered it, he took the keyboard solo and turned it into a guitar solo. But all he did was lift his own solo from Kiss Alive with um, uh, Rock and Roll All Night and drop it into this song. So it, it, it just didn't make any sense. And it was like, Okay, so he redid it. He copied himself. It's a good thing he can't be sued for. Yeah, for, right. So, I'm sure Simmons could sue him. He would. I've seen, uh, I've seen other bands do that kind of stuff before too. Where like they think they can get away with something like that. Like, oh yeah, that my our fans will never notice that I played the same lead line in this song as this other song, and it's and so blatantly obvious. And these people came at me like like I had just you know killed their cat or ran over their dog. I mean, it was like, oh, that's no, this is a great cover. I, I had said, you know, I kind of was mean when I said, look, this sounds like a lazy bar band cover. It's got nothing interesting in it. Yeah. Um, all Ace did was take his own solo, drop it in the middle, and he didn't even try to sing it well. Do you know, do you know what the, like, so you're talking about, um, I'm having a moment. I'm, I feel like I'm getting old. I'm having a lot of moments lately. I, I have those all day long. Sometimes I forget the the simplest thing. I, I remember pointing at the blue guitar amp one 
during the video and going the uh the, the thing uh, is that we're gonna end the episode and then like i'm gonna come i as soon as we hit the end i'm gonna be like oh i remember now Okay, so Jack White. Why does Jack White suck? You were you were getting at the end, so he was you were you were in this conversation with somebody. No, I, Jack White doesn't suck. Like that's the, well, that's exactly the suck. point. That's not what I mean. He, he, he appeals to a certain generation of people, right. but like, but you you were you were commenting about John Mayer being like you know kind of the similar similar context. Right. Um, I I feel like somebody comparing Jack White with with Steve Ray is like comparing apples and oranges. Right. And like they both have a skin, they both they're both fruit, like but <laughs> wow, that was that was really bad. Um well, I don't think Jack White compares himself to Steve Raymond. I don't no, think Jack he Ray wouldn't either. That's not his litmus test. Right, no. And nor would you see like I don't expect Jack White to get up and do Albert King covers either. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not that's no, that's you just don't do that. Um, it would be like trying to compare Steve Vai to like uh Jimmy Page. Right. Like they're in the same genre, but they're like so different to one another. How you quantify that? It just doesn't make any sense. Now, or, I'm also yeah. going to tell you, music is not a competition. But so. that's why that's why it always pisses me off every time somebody says, "I can't stand to listen to Steve Vai, Joe, so Joe Satriani." Yeah, because there's another guy who's um, better. I can listen to um, uh, David Gilmore because he can say one more than one note than blah blah. First of all, Gilmore would play faster if he could. And second of all, um, that's not what he's about. That's Jim, not how I'm going to let you on a secret that you probably already know. And the reason yeah. why people like Gilmore playing one note, they can say more than one note than anybody else could say with 10. Because it's easier to cover his stuff. No, because they can't do it either. Right. So they're going to idolize the guy that's just like they are. Right. That's why right. The Edge is so damn popular. <laughs> like, what, oh what, do you, what do you think that has to do with anything? It's because you know, he's easy to emulate. In my opinion, the edge killed the guitar solo. It wasn't Nirvana. It was the edge. I don't know. I, dude, I there was, was a lot of people after U2 that were still ripping guitar solos. <laughs> you got Red Beach and people like that around. Like, they was not them. It was, it was the death of that kind of music. Yeah. And so that's why I still think, I think Nirvana definitely killed the guitar solo. I think it was heading for its, for its, day anyway well it was coming to a close well it was people were itself. it had been overdone to the point where it was like okay well honestly you want you want to really talk about the genesis of the death of guitar solo when jimmy page brought out a freaking bow <laughs> to play the guitar you knew it was done like it's like all right well <laughs> it just as took as 20 years for it to die <laughs> and then and then uh uh robert gilbert pulls out a drill and decides to drill <laughs> and the other people have done other things that are, um, well, those are different. That's far that, that's, more ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> like, We're uh, really talking about trying to speed pick. Are we or, talking about, are we talking about Anvil here? Yeah, no, no, we can stay away from that. We do want to be relatively kid friendly. All right, have... everybody. We are at a really long episode at this point. Uh, I have to cut this in two. No, we're not. I'm not cutting this in two. That's too much editing. You guys can pause it and watch, listen again. Yeah. Yeah, but we've got a lot more to talk about because I think, guys and gals, post in the group, what is it about who is your most underrated guitar player? Who is your most? Yeah, that's a good That's a good question. If you make it this far in the episode, please post in the group who your favorite <laughs> underrated guitar player is or somebody that you feel is underrated, grossly underrated. Right. That should get their just desserts. Right. So, with that and uh, this extraordinarily long episode. 
I have been David. And I have been Jim. And tonight we have been Practically Guitarists. Practically Guitarists.